This is Jocko Podcast number 296 with me, Jocko Willink. The Chief of Naval Operations takes pleasure in presenting the Silver Star Medal II Special Warfare Operator First Class, Chad M. Wilkinson, United States Navy. For service as set forth in the following citation. For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity in action against the enemy while serving as a mission support site team leader while assigned to a joint task force in support of operations enduring freedom on 24 April 2011. Petty Officer Wilkinson displayed superior guidance during a daytime assault targeting a Taliban commander while under significant enemy fire. Upon arriving into the objective area, Petty Officer Wilkinson and his assault element came under a hail of enemy fire. He and his teammates led his assault to set containment on the objective area. After receiving friendly wounded in action from direct enemy fires and grenades within 20 meters of the target compound, Petty Officer Wilkinson boldly exposed himself to the enemy and suppressed the incoming fire that allowed his element to move to safety and enabled a combat medic to move to their positions to treat a head wound of one of his teammates. He directed two additional assaults on the target compound and coordinated with higher headquarters for three rotary wing close air support missions after evacuating all non-combatants from adjacent buildings. Petty Officer Wilkinson's actions eliminated the enemy combatants, enabled the evacuation of the wounded casualties, and allowed for the safe extraction of the assault force. By his bold leadership, courageous actions, and total dedication to duty, Petty Officer Wilkinson reflected great credit upon himself and upheld the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. For the President, Jonathan W. Greenert, Admiral, United States Navy, Chief of Naval Operations. So, there you have the award citation of a hero from one of our recent wars. Afghanistan and war is in some ways timeless doesn't change there are heroes there are sacrifices and there's fear and pain and loss and war also evolves over time and there's new weapon new weapons new technology, new tactics. There's lessons that are learned. There's solutions that are created. With the advent of poison gas, in World War I came the advent of the gas mask. From the creation of machine guns came the creation of the tank. War is responsible for the creation or the advancement of radios and radar and atomic weapons and energy and jet engines and electric computers and 
war creates problems and then creates solutions to those problems or at least it's supposed to there have been great advances in medicine from war the civil war in America brought about the significant use of anesthesia in World War one men were now being gravely wounded by these newly developed machine guns and they were losing massive quantities of blood and so doctors started regularly using blood transfusions for the first time World War two saw the expanded use of antibiotics to fight off infections World War II is also where they started using metal plates to repair b- broken bones and fractures from these explosions, from these new weapons. And the Korean War helped advance the idea of life flights and using helicopters to get wounded soldiers the care that they needed as quickly as possible. In the Vietnam War. We started using napalm regularly. And that brought about advances in burn care. And they started using antiseptic and antibiotic infused dressings to reduce infection. So, so war creates new forms of physical trauma and then creates ways to help ease that trauma. And then there's unseen trauma. The concussive blasts, the traumatic stress, every war has its own form. In World War I, it was shell shock and the horror of going over the top. World War II, the dreadfulness of close killing Vietnam, the confusion over who's good and who's bad. In our current modern wars, there's something else to contend with for our professional warriors. That is the idea of an unending war. Because World War I as heinous and awful as it was, it was also finite. World War II is similar. I mean, absolute horror, yes. But a horror that ended in four years. Korean War lasted three years. Korean War is also where we started to see this idea of tours, where, you, where soldiers would go over and do a tour and then go home. And that was it. The same thing in Vietnam. We all kind of know that story. Service members were required to do their hitch in Nam. One year. Count the days. And in all those cases, for a majority of soldiers, 
War was a finite thing. Yes, brutal. Yes, horrific. Yes, sickening. But had an end point. But many of this generation, our current generation, there's been no end point in sight. It's been a constant exposure to violence, concussive explosions, stress, deployment after deployment after deployment after deployment. And the training is elevated too. And that's repetitive over and over and over again. Explosive breaching of doors, firing rockets over and over again, improvised demolition shots, and then back on deployment again. And that can become a never-ending cycle of trauma and that's taken its toll on the mental health of some of our nation's finest warriors men like Chad Wilkinson who received that silver star and who finally met his end not on the battlefield by the hands of the enemy but who sadly took his own life with suicide and we have to learn from that And here today to talk to us about Chad and what he went through is his wife, Sarah Wilkinson. And joining her is Jason McCarthy, former Special Forces soldier, founder of GORUCK, and a friend of Sarah's. And together they have been trying to share the message of mental health, remove the stigmas, raise awareness, and encourage people to reach out if they need help and encourage us all to help each other. With that, Sarah, Jason, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good to see you guys again. (laughs) Yeah, Jason came on before. You're on Podcast 208, talking about your experiences in the Special Forces, in Florida, tennis champion. Almost champion. My mom was the the athlete in the crew. Um, and Sarah, thank you so much for coming out. It's very, very awesome to meet you. And, and I just want to, you know, get, get right into your story and the story of you and Chad. And let's, let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How did it all start? <laughs> I'm, I'm a military kid, born, born and bred. My dad was Marine. Uh, I'm the youngest of two. I have an older sister. Uh, my mom and dad met pretty young and got married, my dad joined the military, became a Marine, and, and set off their path to move around every couple of years. What, was he from a military family? No. He no. just randomly joined the Marine Corps? Uh, 
Yeah, it was kind of like right where he just missed the draft, okay. but yet still felt the need to serve, I guess. Mm-hmm. He, he, they, they come from a small town in Ohio where everyone kind of just stays in that same town. So I think he wanted to find something bigger, maybe more, more challenging. I can relate. He wanted to serve his country. So yeah, he's a Marine. I was a military kid, moved around all the time. Uh, my dad was an officer, so that means we moved every two to three years. We spent most of the time on the East Coast. We lived once overseas in Okinawa. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I've, I went to 15 schools before I graduated. 15. So do you become super adaptable when you go to 15 schools? I guess you could either come super adaptable or just super in a shell and not talk to anybody. I, I really think you could go either way. You're either out there or you're or you're rigid. Uh, I consider myself more of like a chameleon uh-huh. because of that. So I can blend in in a room or I can stand out what needs to happen. So growing up, moving all the time, I mean, I went to a different school, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, different school each year <laughs> for those years. So yeah. And then, and so then what about Chad? When did you meet Chad? First day of high school. And where was this? Uh, Quantico, Virginia. So, so my dad, Marine, right? Quantico's a Marine Corps base, mm-hmm. and his dad was Navy. His dad was a former SEAL. Uh, his uncle was also a SEAL, so he always wanted to be a SEAL <laughs> from the time he was like twelve. Uh, but his dad had switched rates and then was kind of on the helicopter duty with the president, and so that's what brought him to Quantico. Because otherwise, I don't think we would have met. He would have never been there. Yeah, and we went to a really, really small school. It's a DOD high school. It doesn't exist anymore. So a high school that's on base that's just for the military kids. Are kids well-behaved on the military school, on the military base school? Well, when I went, yes, because, you know, we're talking early (laughs) 90s. But also on base, um, not in Quantico, when I moved to Lejeune, this was the case. But a lot of times you would have a plaque in front of your house. So my house said, there was a plaque that said Colonel Trelease. Okay. Out in front of our house, so you couldn't really do too much because not only you know could they report to your dad, they knew where you lived. So you're in a controlled environment, pretty much. Yeah. What, what kind of music were you listening to? Like grunge, mm. you know, poppy type. Because what stuff. year is this? Well, when I met him, it was '91. So you're a, f- a freshman in high school in '91. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was kind of peak grunge. Yeah. You were just getting your Nirvana. Oh and yeah. Pearl Jam. Yeah. And- he loved Pearl Jam. Yeah. Yeah. I still listen to it and just smile. So you guys meet and what is it love at first sight? Is there For me? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know about him. Uh yeah, he we so going to a military school right off the bat the first day there starts to be buzz about who the new kids are. Mm. Who's this kid and this kid at the school was so so small and they were talking about the Wilkinson brothers. The girls were like, have you seen the Wilkinson brothers? <laughs> and I was like, what's the deal? But um, I smile because I just remember this so clearly. Sitting in the bleachers on the first day, traditional like PE coach, just like intense call and roll. And this kid was sitting in front of me. I saw the back of his head and they called Chad Wilkinson and he turned his head to the side and he said, here. And I was like, oh, well, I'm done. I like him. And that was it. How did you connect then? Well, I mean, a small school, we kind of, you, you just, mm-hmm. and being military kids, I think it was 
pretty natural for all of us to just be friends. There really wasn't like a cool group and a not cool group. Um, everybody, you, you, you were kind of forced to be friends with everybody because the school was so small. And how, also, how small? How many people per, per his, grade? His graduating class was 24, I think. Oh, 24. that is really, really small. small. Yeah, yeah. And so. Dang, that's like one classroom. Yeah. Yeah, we actually, the school was um, middle school and high school together. It was just in a different hall. So high school <laughs> took up like one hall and a half and the middle school took up like another hall and a half. And we didn't cross paths with the middle schoolers, but we were all in the same building. Now, were you guys in the same grade? Was he, he a freshman, you were a freshman? No, he was a, he was a year older, a sophomore. He was a sophomore, I was a freshman, okay. yeah. And so then, like what, did he like, say what's up sister i mean what did he do how do you roll how well, do you make this happen he was pretty cool <laughs> i mean i say there wasn't a cool group but he was i think he was pretty cool in high school and he was super athletic and i mean for anybody who's listening he's really good looking <laughs> so you know he had that going for him we were just friends um the first year or two what, what sports did he play uh soccer primarily um i think he was on the golf team one year and I think he was he was the kicker for the football team one year because they just knew he could kick it yeah. you know so he'd run out there kick and then come off <laughs> um, but yeah for two years we, we were more or less just friends I mean in that period of time he did ask me to go to homecoming um, and I was super pumped about it so homecoming is what what, like yeah the thing is I went to a really small school too I think I had 80 people in my graduate I don't really remember the home I know my because I have I have kids too and my daughters went to some kind of homecoming but what's the deal with homecoming uh, yeah good I know question. that people came know. to my house they were dressed up the boys were wearing ties and like this tuxedo yeah, type it's things. basically a reason to get dressed up and have okay. a party okay. and you know back then it was big deal because it's a small school and you have a huge pep rally on Friday and pep there's rally. yeah and we were pumped <laughs> I mean I my kids dread pep rallies now they're like that's lame I'm not going and I'm like why not it's awesome uh, <laughs> and that's what we did and there was a football game and then after the football game you had you had a dance and you get yeah. dressed up and you got the like corsage and the flower and the whole thing. And, yeah. It's a different time. You know, I was I uh, was looking at a boot camp picture of myself the other day. And the picture was taken in 1990, right? So I posted, I was like, I posted on, on my social media page, right? Hey, you know, here's me, boot camp. And I thought, so that's 1990. Mm -hmm. That's 31 years ago. That means when I was in boot camp, if I would have looked at a picture that was 31 years old, it would have been from 1960. Yeah. Crazy. And then I have, sometimes on the podcast, I'll have guys on that were in either World War II, Korea, or Vietnam, but recently had a bunch of Vietnam guys on, and they just, like, they're talking about pep rallies, like these kind of things. It was just a different time. I think you caught the end of it. You I, caught I, the tail end of it. I think I did. I think I found, like, the sweet spot of high school before all that just blew up and diminished. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So you get a start. Sorry to sidetrack. I kind of needed to know about homecomings because yeah. I have my two daughters went to home the homecoming thing. They got picked up by some dudes at the house. The guys were wearing ties and whatnot. I tracked it. Don't worry. We're good. But <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so you get asked a homecoming by yeah. Chad? Yeah, and, and it was just the, the, the dance. Uh, and then later, 
Well, so he asked me after he got in a food fight in the cafeteria. Wait, you got in a food fight? No, he got in a food fight. Okay. It was great. <laughs> and uh, he came up, he had food on his shirt and stuff, and then he's like, hey, as he would say, you want to go to homecoming with me? And I tried to act not really excited, but I was like, mm, all right. Mm. I was like, yes. <laughs> Score. So, yeah, and we just went to homecoming, and then that was that. We didn't date or anything, and then fast forward to the following spring. One more thing about homecoming <laughs> and dances in high school. Was there particular like songs that were repetitive? Because when I went to high school, every single dance that I went through, which started in middle school, which was, I guess, it was seventh, so seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade. Every single dance that I went to, that's what we had dances, I don't know what they're called now, but every single dance we went to, every single one, so there's probably four or five a year, you know, six, mm-hmm. so 30 times, the song that would play at the end of the night was um, was Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. Is that a normal a tradition? Classic. Is I, that a worldwide tradition? I think it's just a really good march out song. <laughs> they're like, yeah, beat it. Lights are coming up. Mosey out the door. Right on. Right on. So you you go to this dance and I cut you off. So you go to the Yeah, homecoming. we just went to the dance and, and that was it and nothing really like became of it. But then fast forward a couple months later, towards the end of the year, he would go by me in the locker. You know, I'd be sitting in my locker and he'd walk by and he'd just, hey, the whole hey. <laughs> and I just I kinda just did the whole girl flip out thing, like, oh my God, he said hey to me. <laughs> And then he needed help with a history paper, apparently. But like, he asked me a to likely help. story. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. And then he asked me out uh, to dinner. We went to dinner and we started dating, pretty much. So that was... Where'd you go to dinner? We went to this Mexican restaurant. I don't think it even exists anymore. I don't even know the name of it. In Aquia Harbor. A little shout out. I don't know if I actually asked a girl to dinner until I was in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he had class. I Well, uh, I don't even know if I should share all this, but we actually also went to a movie and we bought tickets to some stupid movie because we couldn't get in a radar uh, R movie. And then we snuck into the movie Sliver. Sliver. Do you guys remember that movie? Horror movie? It's like sexy smut movie. Oh, ooh. And I'm like on this date and I was like, oh, this is a lot of <laughs> Is that Sharon Stone? <laughs> uh, I, oh, I think so I actually don't remember who was in it. I mean, this was a long, long time ago, but I just remember being like completely red, thankfully uh, in a dark movie theater, <laughs> embarrassed. So yeah, that's what we did. We had dinner and snuck into a rated R movie. Crazy, you, crazy you, kids. Kids were getting crazy. I know. And so what year was that? Was this one his senior year? Or? Uh, I was, it was the end of my sophomore year, his junior year. Okay. And so this was 1993 when okay. we really started dating. So now you're legit dating. Yeah. Through the summer? Well, so then Is I moved. coming in the fall? Yeah. Well, then it was for okay. us. I don't know if it changes, but it was like October. Um, I have a really great picture from that day. I, sh- I should pass it to you just because right it's on. good. But um, no, we. my dad got stationed in Lejeune, so I had to leave after my sophomore year. And, Dope. Uh, yeah. And that was the only time I was ever really pissed honestly every move i'd be like okay you know we didn't get family vacations we moved that's what happened uh-huh. and then you're on a new adventure and this was the only time i was mad and so what were you into for were you doing sports as well i was i was swimming a swimmer i was a swimmer cool yeah so i was that person that's like you wake up at five you swim yeah. you go to school you swim you swim a lot yeah okay so now you have to go to camp lejeune yeah so i managed to work 
a deal and I stayed at my best friend's house, Steph Cuddy, so I could hang out with her, but really so I could hang out with Chad. Let's be honest. And I watch R-rated, R-rated movies. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I just hung out that summer. I was a lifeguard at the pool on base through high school as a lifeguard and I pulled butts at the shooting range. Dang. You know, like when yeah. you roll them up and we, all the high school kids, we'd just sit there like in this little dugout with ear pro on and pew, you'd see the bullet go and you pull the target, slap the sticker on it, throw it back up. That's how we spent our weekends. Minimum wage? Oh yeah, I was barely making anything. Well, I mean, I was actually in the Navy and I did that. <laughs> we did that for each other, that's what we did. Well, we didn't our- have, you know, people to come down and do it for us. I guess that's some Marine Corps officer thing. Well, our friend's dad pretty much ran the range. Uh, so I think okay. he was like, I'm going to make these kids do something. And so we could <laughs> hang out with our friends all day on the weekend. It makes me sound like such a nerd now that I'm saying this. I didn't do anything like super crazy in high school, but uh, we could hang out with our friends and get paid mm. a little bit of money. Okay. So that's where you spend the summer. And this whole time you're hanging out with Chad. So you guys are uh, tight, yeah. getting tight at this yeah, point. Or a thing. And but you're going to bail. Yeah. Got to move the to clock Lejeune. is ticking. And yep. So I moved to Lejeune. We continue dating. Uh, I'm a junior. He's a senior. And he would drive down on the weekends, which was kind of a big deal because, you know, he was fairly newly licensed, you know, and his mom and dad would let him drive. The minivan or what was he driving? No, he had an old Oldsmobile. I think it might have belonged to his grandpa. <laughs> And like the front seat like was busted, so it like sat crooked. <laughs> it was a hoopty. It was great though. And he would drive that down on the weekends and see me, and then drive back. Not every weekend, but as much as he could. Stay the night. Mm-hmm. Parents were cool. Yeah, this was like a thing because mm. my parent, my mom said to me recently, like in the last year, we we had some conversations just about this, Chad and I and our mm-hmm. youth, and she said. I don't know what it was. I just, uh, we just always knew that the relationship with you and Chad was just something different. And he stayed, I mean, he stayed in a separate room. Yeah. He was in my room, but yeah. Well, at least as far as the parents know. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was getting tactical, I'm sure, at some point. <laughs> I am You're declaring pleading fifth, nothing. But... <laughs> um, Cool. And so, so, so then, how long does this long distance relationship work? So go for? we and so we date, and then when I so he graduates, and now I'm a senior. So I, I'm mm-hmm. a senior. He graduates high school. His mom and dad move to Florida to Orlando now. When he's in high school, is he talking about joining the Navy? Is he talking about going in the teams? He always kind of. I think he just always knew that's what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that he talked about it in excess. So he has two brothers. He's the oldest, two brothers and then a sister. And um, his house was just full of, you know, every classic SEAL movie, you know, spec op movie. You know, he had posters on his wall, uh, which I think I still have that you probably can't even find anywhere anymore. But I think it was just something he always knew that's what he was going to do. I don't ever remember him talking about anything else like, oh, I might go to business school or right. something no yeah. it was it was so obvious to him and you that it was not even really a big subject it was like yeah well what else am I going to do that type of thing yeah and I mean even then I don't think at my age I was even thinking about you know our life together like <laughs> oh I'm going to marry him I doodled his name a lot on all my notebooks because that's what you do in the <laughs> 90s with your grunge t-shirt and your boy crush but um <laughs> 
I just always thought I'm just going to be wherever he is. You know, I wasn't thinking mm-hmm. like marriage, but but I just knew, well, wherever he is is where I want to be. Right on. Okay, so then what happens? Oh, so, we so, break up. So that kind of. Yeah, so we broke up Wait, my so this senior is after, year. Oh, this is your senior my year? My senior year. So, so he's he graduated. Gone? Yeah, so he moved down to Florida. And so the deal was is he wanted to be an officer. And at that time, so he enrolled in the University of Central Florida. Mm-hmm. His mom and dad are in Orlando. He's down there with them. He's thinking, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a four-year degree, and then I'm going to go do the whole Navy buds deal. But they were saying, hey, we're not really taking officers mm-hmm. right now because we just don't need them. So you can go get your degree, but it's not that's not going to work out. And so basically a year into college, he said, okay, I'm out and joined. Um, so, so we broke up my senior year. It, did you break up? Before or after he joined the Navy? Before. So before. So he's in Orlando. I'm in Lejeune. We break up. Really just because I think, you know, you got friends that are like, why are you dating some boy that lives so far away? That's stupid. Mm -hmm. All the things. So we broke up and um, we spent two and a half years pretty much went by in that time. The time he was in college and my senior year and then. My first year after graduating high school, we just didn't really speak to each other. And this was before cell phones right. or social media. You can't properly s- cyber stalk somebody back in, the, back in the day. Right. And I would stay in touch with his sister, his little sister. So she's 10 years younger than him. She was pretty young. Mm-hmm. I mean, I met her when she was five. Mm-hmm. So she's pretty young. But, um, and so I always kind of knew what he was doing. And I knew he joined the Navy and you know, went to boot camp and was going to Bud's. And uh, I I really wanted to be there for his graduation of Bud's, but I thought that might be weird if I just show up. Plus, I'd never been to California, the whole thing. I'm living. I'm going to confirm that would be weird. Yeah. 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 And so <laughs> during this time, you know, he he's, goes to college, joins the military. I finish high school. My family moves to Tampa because my dad is at CENTCOM. So his family's in Orlando, my family's in Tampa, I'm going to community college, and I think I want to be there for his bud's graduation, but I can't do that, so I need to put myself in a position that doesn't allow me to do that, so I went on a cruise. And I thought, if I'm on a boat, I can't get off the boat. <laughs> I'm like 19 or something, yeah. and we docked, we docked in New Orleans, and I told my girlfriend, I was like, I'm, I'm getting off the boat. I'm going to go get on a plane and I'm just going to show up there. And she's like, okay. And then I realized I didn't have any money to get there. <laughs> I'd spend it all on the cruise. And were you, but you hadn't been communicating with him no, during just, the time period. No, just keeping in touch with his sister and like his mom would check in from mm-hmm. time to time. Oh, because his mom still liked you. Yeah, I, I hope, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. <laughs> so then, so then he graduates buds. So he graduates buds. And now what happens? Well, I knew he graduated Buds, and then I also knew he was coming back to Orlando. So I took a couple days off work and just waited. And then he called and said, hey, I'd really like to see you. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Let me see if I can get off work. <laughs> you know, you gotta play tough. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, did drove there, um, was super nervous. His brother I think opened the door he was wrestling his other brother in the background probably trying to play it cool and pretty much the same thing as that day on the bleachers you know as soon as I saw him I was like oh man 
So. So he uh, he had graduated buds at that point. So now he must be on orders. Got orders to a team. Yeah. So he had to go. Uh, this is when they were had specific rates. Your time frame probably yeah. too. So he went to the medic school. Oh, in so Fort he, Brad. yeah. So actually, so he what he got was he must have been a corpsman, and then they would take corpsman, and after buds, they would take corpsman and send them to eighteen Delta, the yeah. the the special forces medic school. What's interesting about that, and I, I might mess this up a little bit, but um, his dad then had orders to Fort Bragg, and his dad ran that school. Oh. So he went through the school that his dad was running. Interesting. That's awesome. I guess he got some good grades, hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) He's a smart guy. He does good in school. So, uh, so, so then what happens? So then he's going to that school. So now, are you two back together? Is this yes. like we're, we're, yep. we're back? Yep. We're back. So we're back, back together. And this is, I had 96. And so I decide, because I want to be wherever he is, that I'm going to go to college at Methodist, which is a really small school in Fayetteville. So I go up there for a semester. I had to do a whole presentation to my dad. My dad, right? Colonel in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. He always says, when you want to do something, you better have your ducks lined up and come to me. And I did like a report and figured out how much it would cost. I got scholarships. I got different things, how much it would be paid for, really because I just wanted to be closer to Chad. <laughs> Was that part of the briefing or not? I think he probably <laughs> understood that. But I lasted one semester. I hated it. And I left and went back to Florida. So he did the medic school and then he was off to SEAL Team 8. And then what, once he got to SEAL Team 8, did you guys reconnect again? Well, so we're, we are dating long distance now. Uh, he's at Team 8. I'm down in Florida. And then I end up going to the University of Florida. And we're thinking, okay, I'm going to do college down here. You're going to do that. And then we break up again. Mm. Yeah. So two, two pretty big breakups. It's hard to check into a team and have like a girlfriend or whatever. No offense to girlfriends of the world, but when you get oh, to a yeah, team, it is like up. you are going down. You are when you're a young new team guy, you have so much on your mind as far as work goes. It's like, hey, I don't have time for anything else right now. And I don't know. That's probably has at least a little something to do with it. You know, you're down in Florida, he's up there like wanting to make sure he's good to go for this and that. Yeah. Tough. We just had, I mean, he would drive down still on the weekends. When oh, we were well, still I give dating. him credit then. You, yeah, like then he gets first, full credit then. Yeah, and, um, but yeah, we broke up and uh, that was just terrible because I really thought that that was probably it. Uh-huh. I thought I probably lost him forever. And then how long are you guys broken up for? Uh, I'm trying to think of the timeline. I, it was probably like a year, year and a half, something like that. Did he do? Did he do his first deployment? Yeah, he did a deployment. He was on uh, the Enterprise. He was on a ship. Uh, Only time he was on a ship at that time. And what year was that? Um, probably ninety-seven or eight. Okay, somewhere in that. Right on. Yeah. yeah. So he, he so he does a deployment. He's a medic. Yeah. You, you guys are broken up. Mm-hmm. You're going to Flo- you're going to college in Florida. Yeah. And I'm still keeping in touch with his sister. Mm-hmm. And we had, you know, we had email. So, you know, like the dial-up. Uh, <laughs> and I would do the dial-up email and check to see if he would ever email me. And then all of a sudden one day he did. And he just said, I just, I told the guys, I, I keep thinking about you and I want to see you. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so. 
So when you say come up to Virginia Beach, did he come down to Florida? No, I said, you know where I live. Well, first of all, he was still on deployment. He okay. wasn't quite home yet, yeah. and so I didn't know, and I'm in college, and um, yeah, he drove down and showed up at my doorstep, and I did the same thing I did in high school. I just couldn't believe he was there, you know, and and just excited. And we said to each other, I said to him before he comes, came down, if we see each other again, we're going to know. Like, this is either going to be forever or it's just not. And he came down. And pretty much role reversal of when I went to Orlando and he asked me to stay an extra day, I said, do you think you could stay an extra day? Mm-hmm. And that was it. So that was um, uh, the summer of 99, I think. Mm-hmm. May of 99. How old are you at this point? You're going to make me do bath? I don't, I don't know. know. I'm like 21. So you're, oh yeah, you're in college. Yeah. So you're a young college yeah. girl and he's swoops in yeah, and says, all right, we're, we're going to do this. Yeah. I mean. Did you drop out of college? What'd you do? No, I stayed in college. You're slightly more responsible than that. Yeah. <laughs> stayed in college. Um, uh, we, he, we got engaged that summer in July we got married on paper, as a lot of military mm. people do. Um, we actually got married up in Virginia Beach in the in this guy's backyard. Mm-hmm. And so we were at least married and had all that. And I spent time down in Florida, and then I worked it. To graduate, I had to do an internship to, to finish my degree. So I got an internship with the city of Virginia Beach because <laughs> I wanted to be where he was. So you guys, you, you, you get married. Well, he proposes to you mm-hmm. and then you get married the old school, like what I did. You know, my, my wife and I got married at the San Diego courthouse and my chief was like the wit, cause you have to bring a witness. So my, I was like, Hey, can you come with, you know, witness my wedding? And he's like, you're getting married. Yeah. Okay. So we went down there and you know, the judge goes like, all right, you two are married. And then we walked out and then we went to like Danny's and had a hamburger. That was the honeymoon. I'm a bad husband. <laughs> uh, but that's what we did. You know, yeah. that sort of, that's what you guys did too. I, I mean, I think for me, that's a better story. You know, our story. We went and got married in this guy's backyard. Nobody knew. We were living in a house with team guys. I was living with him and four <laughs> other team guys in a house. It was just How was like. that? That was some good times. Weekend at Bernie's, you know, just. Uh, my poor wife. I, my poor wife. Did that too. She didn't. Well, it wasn't four team guys, but it was me, my running mate, team guy, roommate, who is just the best guy ever, and also just like insane. We were all crazy, and then so we we lived in the upstairs apartment, and then two other team guys lived below us, and it was just well, I'm sure it was very similar to the environment you were in. Yeah. You know, like the the furniture was cruise boxes. Uh, dinner was Domino's, breakfast was Guinness, lunch was Jägermeister, and it was just mayhem. Yeah, Chad's brother likes to say he remembers coming to visit and he got out of the shower and it was so disgusting, he just <laughs> took a paper towel and like patted his body dry because he didn't want to use anything. I mean, I don't know if it was that gross, maybe for him, but, um, you know, it was a dude's house uh, and, you know, I got to live there and... And there was one giant sofa that was the ugliest. Chad had bought it. It was a Scandinavian print. It was the tackiest, ugliest thing. And in literally his entire life, he still talked about that stupid sofa. 
that is, I so my wife and I, but my, my old running mate, we had this freaking couch that was gold. Uh, I think it's called velvet. Velvet is that what it's called? Like this kind of like uh, like really soft. Yeah, push back and forth. So it was gold velvet. It had some kind of wood carvings on the end. It had to have been more than 10 feet long. It was freaking huge. We could That was this. Yeah. And it was the most comfortable couch ever. And I think we got it at a whatever, a thrift store for whatever, $38 or something. Best couch ever. It, that's what he says. And we could fit like three <laughs> to four full-size dudes on it. I think it was more typical we'd wake up and one of them would be on the sofa just because it was comfortable. Yeah. And uh, they, the house, they, it was there was a sofa and there was a kegerator. That was it in the living room. <laughs> and when I told them to put decorations up, I was like, "You guys need stuff on the wall." They hung shooting targets, <laughs> uh, like the real ones, the pictures yeah. of you know the man and the woman. You have to decide: does he have a weapon? Does he not? Do I shoot him? That was when <laughs> it was in our house for a little while. Yeah. So you time. got like a heart, a really nice welcome to the team community. It was, yeah. It was, it was, um, such a different life back then. Yeah. And you are you going out with the boys? Like when my wife came over, and you know we weren't married yet, but when she when we started when she started living with me, she would like come out with us, you know, and yeah. hang. Oh yeah, we'd go out and um, burn it down. <laughs> I, I for, you know, I'm in Virginia Beach and there's this bar that's been there forever, Hot Tuna, and they've since redone it. But Platunas. I, yeah, I just went back <laughs> literally like two weeks ago for the first time and I thought, I haven't been here in forever. And it took me back to one night in particular. Chad drove a green Jeep Cherokee, still his favorite car always. And we went out with a bunch of guys and we just lifted up the back gate, you know, and just shoved him in there instead of actually, you know. This is a long time ago. Forget the seatbelt. Shove in there. We went to Hot Tuna. Sure enough, there was a fight. We got kicked out, told to leave. And I just remember running out there, throwing up the back gate, the guys getting in, and <laughs> we're out. So. And this lifestyle to you, what were you thinking? We were like, okay, well, this is the way it is. Yeah, I don't even think I thought anything. Mm-hmm. I just was in it. And you're military and a military kid, and you understand just the camaraderie that can happen there and and the the sense of family that it can create and i was i was really happy and i think he was too to have made it to be a team guy he was at teammate yeah yeah i i don't know if there's anything better than being an e5 in a seal platoon (laughs) it's just freaking awesome and it's everything you just said well we so we had a big wedding later right so we had a we i think for our family they wanted like the bigger wedding so in may of now we're gonna go to 2000 i guess we got married and so the boys all decided they were gonna come and they rented an RV and they drove <laughs> from Virginia Beach to where we got married. And uh, all my girlfriends from college had come and they were, and they're, you know, don't ask a dumb question. They're, we're in the reception and you look around the room and there's one huge round table with all these really good looking dudes around it. And the girls are like, are those the Navy SEALs? <laughs> Not only are they like a bunch of dudes and they're good looking, a couple, one of them had like a butterfly stitch on his forehead because they stopped in Savannah and got in a bar fight. <laughs> So it was like so appropriate, you know. It was good. Did when once you moved to Virginia Beach, 
he was uh, he must have been in a workup. When did he go on deployment? Uh, that's he, when I start to forget. So he's already done one deployment when uh-huh. he was on the ship. Yeah. And then he comes back, and then he did two more there. Um, I honestly can't remember the months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's going on deployment for the first time, or the first time that you're married. Mm-hmm. So it's his, I guess it would be his second deployment. Yeah. And now you're like, what did you do? Did you stay in Virginia Beach? Did you go... So this was like, I had to do the whole, I lived there, I did my internship, then we got really married for real. And oh, that's right, because he did deploy. And I moved back home with my family Mm -hmm. during that second deployment. We were in the middle of like, not living anywhere. So we lived with the team guys, Mm -hmm. we had our own apartment for a little while. And which was also one of the greatest times because you don't realize it at the time when you're young and you have no money and you live in an apartment, I think it was $425 a month, Pleasure House Road, Shore Drive, Chicks Beach, like where everything goes down. Just how great that is. You have nothing and you kind of need nothing. Yeah. It's such simplicity. So anyway, we moved out of that apartment. He left on deployment. I went back home to stay with my What do you family. do when you're, when you're living in that little apartment? Um, you know, like what makes that so good? Uh, I mean, there's nothing to take care of. Mm -hmm. It's an apartment. Um, (laughs) Our friend Lance Vaccaro, who who passed away in 2008, he lived in the same complex. So, you know, you shoot the shit with him when you see him. And um, yeah, just like making dinner and eating it on that. We had a cruise box, one of those metal folding collapsible ones. Mm -hmm. Remember those? Oh, yeah. That was our coffee table. You just put a little like tablecloth over it. We'd eat there. I was like cooking meals in a crock pot. Terrible. (laughs) Me and my buddy had a cruise box that we had like by the ca- by the big gold couch. We had a cruise box that had the phone on it. And then on the cruise box was in Sharpie was written everyone's like numbers from the different platoons and like the team area number. Oh, uh, yeah, th- those are um, good times. I was talking also about the as you advance in life. When you get an apartment, that's like step one. But then when you get an apartment that has a, uh, I was telling my kids this, when you get an apartment that has a washer and dryer like on site that's a big deal and then you if you have one that has parking that's like the next big step up in life yeah yeah. those things are those things bring you joy when you're young and broke yeah i've driven by that apartment a (laughs) few times in the last two years and all the places we've lived in virginia beach you know okay so you do the big the big wedding yep and all these your girlfriends are there from college there's a bunch of team guys there that sounds like a awesome time and 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 then he's going on deployment again uh yeah so he we get married he goes on deployment uh i think before he left on deployment is when i found out i was pregnant Mm, okay yeah which was another reason that like took me home okay so we weren't planning it but we weren't not planning Mm. it it was kind of like you know we've been together forever and it is what it is so. so you get pregnant, he goes on deployment, Yeah, you go home to Florida. Live, okay, you yeah. go home to Florida and you're living, you know, doing whatever you're doing. Yeah, and this again was before we didn't have cell phones. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, it's interesting when people are like upset because they didn't get to like FaceTime with their husband on deployment in today's world, right? Because yeah. I would miss phone calls. And then you don't know when he's going to call you again. And yeah. we, I have so many letters he wrote me. 
I'm pretty grateful for that. And so I'm in Florida. He's deployed, trying to talk to him when I can, growing a baby in my belly, and all the things. And then he comes home. When did, did you have the baby while he was on deployment, or did he come home in time? Yeah, he came home. So because I was like super newly pregnant when he left. Um, so we know we're, we're still staying in Virginia Beach. So I go up to Virginia Beach, super pregnant with my mom, and buy our first house while he's gone. Sweet. Yeah. And then he came home from deployment May 2001, and my daughter was born in August. And now he's still at teammate. He's done two deployments, and yeah. And it's your daughter was born in August mm-hmm. of 2001. Mm-hmm. And he's in another platoon at this point? Yeah. And he, so he, he, he gets through his deployments, and for the rest of his time there, he goes to night school because he's trying to finish his degree. Mm-hmm. So he finishes his degree at ODU. We have a new baby. And then he finishes his time. Uh, he was at Trade Ed. Okay. So, so we're so just like a young family, you know. When September 11th happens, so is he at Trade Ed when September 11th happens? He was at... Uh, yeah, I think he might have been actually. Okay. Yeah. And so September 11th happens. Now what are you thinking? Uh, that's such crazy. It, it, everyone remembers where they were when that happened. I don't even think I had the ability to think about it in the scope of the military mm-hmm. and what the military was going to do or our country was going to do to react. I just was dumbfounded. Kept trying to call him at work. Couldn't get a hold of him. He eventually showed up at the house. And we just kind of looked at each other, and he's like, holy shit. So. And at that point, did you, was he like, okay, I'm going to go back on deployment? Was he, what was his plan at that point? I mean, I think his plan was to just stay. Mm -hmm. He, he, at that point, I think he always wanted to just be a career SEAL. So whatever was going to keep him in the game, quite honestly, we had a conversation after a deployment and that he wanted to go to damn neck. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no. Um, <laughs> and I don't even know why I said no. I, I never said no. I always like supported him and encouraged him, and pushed him. But for some reason at that point, I didn't want him to go. Um, I don't know how it would have turned out if he would have gone then. But yeah, so he... He stayed in the military, but then, because in all this, when he came home from that last deployment, I got pregnant with our son, or his third deployment at eight, and uh, that was when, so 2001, but fast forward, you know, we're in 2004, Mm -hmm. and I think we both kind of, well, I'd say it's more me, we wanted something different. So Chad wanted to be a SEAL. He always wanted to be a door kicker. That's what he wanted to do, you know, hide in the bushes and do all the things. And as military kids, I was really trying to do something different. And the grass was greener on the other side, right? I moved all the time, and I didn't want my kids to have to move all the time, and I didn't want their dad to be gone all the time. And so we talked about it, and we were making the decision to get out of the military. So he had been in 10 years at this point, and it's 2004, his son is born. He wrapped up that last deployment, and we got out and moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. 
Do you know where he went on? What, did he go to Iraq or Afghanistan on that deployment? Or did he do a different deployment like over to UCOM or something? Uh, I, I should know these statistics and facts better, but I don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm like 23 with a baby. and Yeah. Well, this would be very similar to asking my wife yeah. what, what, where I went on deployment. And She'd be like, I have like, no idea. Gone. He was gone. He's that gone. Was her, that was my wife's um, attitude too. Yeah. Yeah. He's gone. Uh, he'll be back later. Yeah. So. <laughs> so you all make this decision to, to get out. Right. And then what's the plan? So at that point, his family's now living in Raleigh, North Carolina, and he has his college degree. He's done 10 years in the military and he thinks, okay, I'm going to get out and I'm going to provide for my family in a civilian world. And and that's what we did. And he got a job in pharmaceuticals. You know, there's a lot of research there. Um, Kind of irony in that when I'm sitting here thinking about him and his life and the path that he chose. But... He was in pharmaceutical research and we just hated it from the moment we left. (laughs) I think most people are creatures of habit. It's my belief, right? People are creatures of habit. Whether you like that habit or you don't like the habit, it just is what it is. And our habit is that we are military kids. We are used to uh, adversity and challenge and changing dynamics on the regular we're used to different situations and the idea of living in the same house, doing the same job with the same people for the rest of your life is nauseating. And I don't think it was challenging for him. And while he did one of his last jumps with the guys before he left, the guys jumped out of the plane and they're like, you're not going to do this with your pharmaceutical dudes, <laughs> you know? And I think I think that always bugged him and... And I think like most of these guys, they don't want to feel like they quit, I guess. Mm -hmm. And for Chad, anyway, separating from the military and not retiring, he probably felt like he wasn't finished. Mm -hmm. And I felt that, too, because he was miserable. He was miserable. We were miserable. How long did it take for buyer's remorse to set in? Like when you get to North Carolina, that was there any sort of like honeymoon period? Hey, we can go on a picnic today and we don't have to worry about anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. How long did that last? There was all that. I mean... I think it lasted for about a year, even though I think in the back of our minds, we'd lay in bed and we're like, he'd say, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like out of the gate? Or yeah. How, really? Yeah, at, at night, you know, but then it's like, okay, we're we're doing it though. Because at the same time, you see it as a challenge in some mm-hmm. ways. You're like, am I doubting myself because I want to go back or am I doubting myself because now I just have this new challenge and I mm-hmm. got to like overcome it? And what we, was he doing for the pharmaceutical company? He was a project manager, and I think he was eye candy for all the girls in the office. <laughs> <laughs> I know this because my sister-in-law works in the field too, and she would tell me stories. But um, yeah, he tell I, I just he said to me, I he came home and he's like, Sarah, I was sitting in the break room today celebrating a baby shower eating a pink fucking cupcake and I'm questioning my life. And you're like, okay, I don't think this is going to work. And as cool as it is to have him home every day and he had a good job, we made good money, the American dream. I mean, our house had a wraparound porch, no joke. The picket fence, I mean, by, by most standards, I don't even know if that's fair to say anymore in today's world, but it was the quote American dream, but it was not our dream. How far into it was the cupcake incident 
Was that like two months into it? No, six that months was closer it? towards the end. That was probably about two that years. That was like the yeah. cupcake that broke the camel's back. Totally. The pink cupcake <laughs> broke him. <laughs> I think it just was a real pivot point, and this isn't to bash cupcakes or baby showers or any of those things, but he's just a he's a dude, you know? Mm-hmm. He's a military dude. He's a knife-carrying, you know, dude. And for him to put on a business suit and a tie every day, you, you just, people shouldn't be things they're not. And that's not who he was. So what was the total time that he, he made it in the pharmaceutical? So he left the military in 2004 and we were back in the military September of 2007. So like two and a half, two and a half years. Yeah. What When he... Like, okay, so he comes home from the cup, the cupcake incident. Or are you just like, you, you can see the misery in his face and you're like, all right, I'm good, let's go. Yeah, I, yeah, I, that, um, we also, I mean, I remember being in the living room and, and hearing about Red Wings mm-hmm. and us sitting in the living room and watching it on TV and just him just, he, you know, he was just sitting there, he kind of had his hands on his head and he was, holy shit. I think that probably had a large part even though we didn't come back for some time I think those things weighed on him mm-hmm. the way the world was changing it was ramping up we're now a couple of years past 9-11 he he felt called to go back then he makes a phone call talk to like some team yeah. guy or whatever and team guy recruiter or something yeah we didn't really know how that was going to play out mm-hmm. right I mean they could have just said no you left, but I think at the time, you know, he he, you know, he was a team guy that had done a few deployments. He had good service, respected. They said sure, but they told him because he hadn't deployed in you know almost three years, he had to go back through. Um, oh, well, SQT. S- well, it was STT when he graduated, yeah, yeah, yeah. but SQT. Changed yeah. to SQT. Yeah. So we, I mean, he left for work one day. He had talked to this guy and was kind of figuring out if this was going to work or not. And he left for work one day, and I just said his tie and his suit and all. The, I said, "This is stupid. We got to go back." And <laughs> we sold our house, and and he signed up to go back. And we sold a lot of what we owned, and because there was no need to have it, we we were going to move to California. He he said if he had to go back through SQT again, he wanted to just go to a West Coast team. Mm-hmm. Um, just so we could all be out there together. And we put a little bit of things in a U-Haul and the kids and I flew out to San Diego and I had never been there. Oh, I came out and like house hunted, tried to find an apartment for us a couple weeks prior. But other than that, I hadn't really spent any time out here. And and he drove a U-Haul cross country, chowing down on sunflower seeds and just going like 90 and like, you know, jacked up on caffeine and, and got there. Then where did you guys move into? Did you guys move to Coronado? Yeah. We found this cool little, just got lucky, found this cool little apartment. Same thing, kind of like our first apartment. Mm -hmm. It, I mean, this place can't be more than 800 square feet. It was two bedrooms, one bathroom. It was our entire BAH, (laughs) maybe even a little bit more. And our kids shared a room. Did you say you had been to San Diego before or you had not? I had only come out like a week or two before to try to find a place to live. 
What, um, what were you thinking when you drove from San Diego over the Coronado Bay Bridge and you see Coronado for I, the first time? I was flipping my <laughs> lid. I just was like, yes, this is amazing. It's one of the craziest sights, I think, when you, when you bring anyone to San Diego and you go to Coronado and you drive over the bridge and you just see Coronado. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It is. It's ridiculous. And I've spent, you know, I spent most of my youth on the East Coast and in almost always close to a beach. Mm-hmm. I always, you know, I don't want to live more than 30 minutes from a beach, let's be honest. So the fact that I could flip coast and and live here and on Coronado is it, yeah. And there's no amazing. mosquitoes here? Yeah. I had a friend coming out and and him and his wife and like it was getting to be dusk and they were like, "Oh, the mosquitoes going to come." I'm like, "There's no mosquitoes here." They didn't believe me. They're, they didn't believe. They <laughs> didn't like, understand. Like, what are you talking about? How could there be no mosquitoes? Yeah. It's totally, yeah, crazy. So, now you're living in Coronado. Yeah. Kind of living the dream, taking bikes around the sidewalk, walking to get coffee and all that stuff. Oh yeah. I got a rad little beach cruiser mm-hmm. Chad bought me and our kids were little and um, my son learned to ride a two-wheeler at 2. And he had this little mini bike and we made friends with the guy in the bike shop and his name's my son's Hudson and Hudson would ride in the bike shop. And one day the guy's like, Hey little man, come here. And he swapped out. I should show you a picture of this. He swapped out the handlebars of his bike for ape hangers. Oh dang. So he was like, he turned three and he was a three year old with this like little mini bike and these ape hanger handlebars. It was great. (laughs) And Chad's going to, SQT this time. Yep. So SQT, just so everyone knows, it's the, when you get done with BUDS, you go, you graduate from BUDS, and after BUDS, they start to teach you some stuff in this thing called SQT. You don't really learn anything in BUDS other than how to go through suffering, and then you get to SQT, and they start teaching you like all the fundamental, basic, individual skills of being a SEAL at a higher level. And occasionally, like Chad's a perfect example, guys guys out for three years, hey, we got new radios, uh, we need. We can't just throw them back in a platoon, all right, send them through SQT. So occasionally that happens. It happens sometimes, God doesn't even have to get out. If a guy's on shore duty for three years and he's been in some billet where he's not operational for three years, they'll be like, hey, you know, you go back through SQT. And usually guys are like, cool, yep, got it. And so you're doing individual skills, but he, in that position, all the other guys, first of all, the other guys don't even have their tridents yet. Mm-mm. So he's a actual SEAL. Yeah. And they're uh they're just not even new guys yet because they don't even they don't even have their tridents. So he's in a position of like real mentorship and to help them out and they're looking up to him. So that's that's what's happening with him. Definitely. He one thing I always loved about Chad is he is very good at teaching you what he knows without making you feel dumb. I think he gets a lot of that probably from his dad and his, the way his dad is, but um, I think that that's a real skill and and try to like foster your own learning while he's teaching you something. And so I think it was a really natural fit for him while he was in SQT to just be the guy that would you know lean into guys and say, hey man, this is how I like rig my gear up this way and I, you know, do this this way. And I think it was a good experience, hopefully for the guys that were with him, you know, to have this more senior person around, but it was also good for Chad. And this, didn't you start doing CrossFit at this time out here? Oh yeah. Yeah. And was that Andy's gym? Andy Stump. Yeah. (laughs) So the reason I'm, I'm laughing is because, you know, you're talking about how 
Chad was the type of person that could teach you something without making you feel bad about what you don't know. I think Andy might be the opposite of that. Andy like enjoys if he's got to teach somebody something. He teaches me stuff that I already know. He makes me feel stupid. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely more his personality. He likes to I have think. fun with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you, so this is Andy had like a CrossFit gym in Coronado. Yeah, yeah. And so you just rolled in there and signed up. Did you know anything about CrossFit at the time? So when we were in Raleigh, Chad started doing CrossFit. This was like 2005, and. He was so into CrossFit, I was so not into CrossFit. That's kind of how that played out. I remember cooking dinner one night and he said, you need to come in the garage. I got this thing called a muscle up. And I was like, ugh. And I opened the door and he did it and I was like, cool. And then slammed the door, (laughs) like a total jerk. Uh, So he had put me through some workouts in our garage in Raleigh, but I minimal exposure, you know, and living in Coronado and having two little kids and he's busy with work. And I feel like, you know, I'm a mom with two kids. I probably need to exercise a little bit more. Riding my bike one day, I just passed the gym. And it was new. It was, like, literally, like, just mm-hmm. opening. And I called him. Didn't know Andy Stump at the time. Called him up and said, hey, can I come to your gym? And that was it. That was it. Mm-hmm. Was he teaching? Not as much. Right. His wife, uh, Jamie, was teaching a lot. Um, Sage Castro, Dave Castro's uh-huh. wife, was coaching there some. Right on. It was it was such a you know this was the early days we're talking two thousand seven mm-hmm. um, of you know of CrossFit gyms yeah. kind of expanding and so it was a small gym not a lot of trainers yeah this is so like this is when Dave Castro was teaching SQT yeah and like I think they ran a level one course yes at SQT and I went and went through it and just like hung out and got whatever some kind of certification for that and then that's that's probably the first time that I met and started hanging out with Dave Castro I think that's it because he was running that and he was like helping me out and then we eventually well when we opened this gym that we're sitting in right now that was 2000 that was late 2007 so we had the um you know I had to go to like the certs and stuff like this that you have to get yeah back in the day yeah Keep your credential to keep your gym. Yeah, to keep your gym, and so you get you get into it. You yeah. kind of get into it. Yeah, I I do. I get really into it. Um, I just you know I like the challenge. I like the physical challenge. I like the way my body was changing. Remember, I'm a mom with two kids, so uh, yeah, I get into it. And so I got the opportunity to go to my level one. Didn't want to coach people ever, never, mm-hmm. never my plan. I just wanted to know more about it. So I went to my level one in San Diego one weekend. Yeah. Okay. And then Chad, what's SQT? Six, six months? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And he's thinking West Coast team. Yeah. You're living the dream, living yep. in Coronado. Yeah. And then what happens there? <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill King happened. Uh, the CEO from Damn Neck came to the West Coast to talk to the SQT guys and to, to explain to them down the pipeline if they want to ever, you know, bridge that gap and head over to SEAL Team 6, here's kind of what you need to do. Most of those guys, when they finish SQT, as you said, they get their trident, they go to a regular team, they've got to do two to three deployments, um, you know, become maybe a little less green, and then they can screen to go to Damn Neck. And that's when Chad went and took it upon himself to introduce himself to him and say, hey, my name's Chad Wilkinson. Here's a little bit of my story. I'm going to finish this up. I'm going to go to a West Coast team. And then in the future, 
I plan on coming to screen. And he just said, how about you don't and just come screen right now? That was that. Yeah. And he didn't consult me at all, <laughs> but that's okay. So what'd you get six months in, in the nado? Yeah, that's just about it. I, I was pretty upset. I mean, but not, uh-huh. right? I mean, yeah. this is our life and this is our path, but I, I did not want to leave. Yeah, he came home and he said, hey, I'm going to fly to Virginia Beach next weekend and do this thing to screen. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, we're moving. And yeah, fast forward, we moved back to Virginia Beach, April of 2008. Did you move back there even before, uh, like while he's starting to go through green team and everything? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We moved like with him. Mm-hmm. Like he left to go to green team. We moved back. So then he makes it through green team and starts the 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 cycle over there, which is deployment 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 work up deployment work up deployment work up deployment work up deployment i mean at that time yeah 2008 it was uh fast and furious it was busy and when you get to virginia beach are you what'd you do with your crossfit deal so i moved back to virginia beach i check out there at the time there were only um two other gyms in the area and i couldn't really take my kids because this was before there were a lot of kids spaces and CrossFit gyms, and there was really nowhere safe for them to be. We we rented an apartment when we came back to Virginia Beach not knowing where we wanted to live and also not knowing if the whole green team thing was going to pan out. I think for Chad, he just was like, I don't really know. Um, And he rented a garage in this apartment complex, and we bought enough equipment so that we could put two people, he and I, essentially through a workout, and then my girlfriend said, well, can I come work out with you? And I was like, sure. And then that just kind of grew and grew. And then we had a whole bunch of people outside of the garage one day. And fast forward, October 2008, I opened my gym. So he's in green team. And anybody who's listening and has lived that is very stressful, um, Especially when you know you're you're coming, you're doing all these things, and you come home, and you got your wife and your kids, and you got to do the family man thing too. And then I go ahead to take it upon myself to start this whole business venture. Yeah, you rented. How big was the space that you rented for that CrossFit gym? Oh, the first one. Yeah, Whew. it was like twelve to thirteen hundred square feet, and. I just remember saying to him in the car, I was like, I need to do this because this is this is about to take off and, and this is all I want to do. Mm-hmm. I think he was a little worried because, you know, in our his world, you live a really quiet life and he didn't want anything that I was doing to not overshadow, but have any sort of imprint on what he was doing, yeah, you know? And, for and, sure. and of course, in a military town, the the interesting part about owning the gym is what you're doing is you're providing a service to people and it's a very personable service. So people think they know you. And what happens is your friends come and join the gym. And I had kind of established at the very beginning, like we're friends, but at the same time, this is, this is a, you know, a business and you do if if you're team wife you don't talk about it in this gym you don't i don't want to hear when your husband's coming home i don't want to hear when your husband's leaving i don't want to hear about another spouse that just wasn't going to fly mm-hmm. so so we were busy <laughs> and with two little kids and how did the gym take off how did it do it went it was awesome uh my whole hope was just to be able to 
cover the rent and mm-hmm. my expenses, and we exceeded that the first month. The first month? Mm-hmm. And uh, we were still working on a lot of things, though. You know, the first person that came beyond my kids and they had a little kid, I didn't know what to do with them, so I stacked up some tires, and I just stuck the kid in the center <laughs> of the tires. I'm like, just stay there till we're done. Because it was such a small space. I look back at those pictures now, Oh man, anybody from CrossFit listening. And I do not know how someone didn't get clubbed in the head with a barbell, <laughs> how close we were, but it all worked out. <laughs> and meanwhile, Chad's, like you said, this is now 2008, so it's just, um, it's on. Yeah. yeah. And he and he's going on deployments. And now we, we kind of already talked about this and I mentioned that my wife would be like, I don't even know where my husband's at. He's gone and he'll be back later. That was kind of her attitude. And it's, I think... Quite frankly, well, I I can't speak for everybody, but it definitely worked for my wife. You know, she just, hey, you go do what you got to do. I'll be here. I'll be here, man in the fort back home. And that was good. Maybe it would have been more stressful if she knew where I was or what I was doing or anything like that. She just was like, you go do what you got to do. Well, did you guys have that? Was that sort of the way you guys operated? Yeah. I mean, when he, when he was deploying, it was Iraq, Afghanistan, then it became Africa. Mm-hmm. And I knew generally, you know, what country he was in. But beyond that, that's how we always operated was you do your job and, and I'll do my job, meaning take care of our kids when you're gone. And when you're gone, you're gone. And when you're home, you're home. I know some other spouses, they share a whole lot and they, they know probably way more stories about their husband than I know and, and maybe almost too much. But Chad really really lived by the fact that you don't talk about it and and it could have much to what you said maybe he just didn't want me to worry either that's what i'd like to think um and and vice versa i didn't call him and say you know i mean my hot water heater busted Mm -hmm. one time in the attic and it's flooding everywhere what's it gonna do if i call him and no so you, you you know seal wives are tough too they're yeah definitely and i i think you know, you said on you. You said you weren't sure if Chad didn't want you to worry. I can almost guarantee you that the attitude was like the last thing he wants you to do is worry. And I remember uh, one of my guys, Mikey Monsoor, who you know he died at the end of our deployment. But when when I got home and talking to his family and his his sister Sarah was you know just telling me uh, and this was we were in this uh, place called Ramadi. It was a really uh, kinetic deployment with a lot of casualties and he had told his family you know when he would call them oh yeah we're just you know we're just training some Iraqis we're yeah if we're not doing anything it's boring like all these kind of things I mean these are just outright not true at all but he just didn't want his family to worry about what he was doing at yeah all. and we had certain like code things I knew when he would call me and he would say okay I'll call you when I can and I love you it he was going out. Mm-hmm. He was going out to do stuff, and I, you know, would he call me in a day? Would it be three or four days? I don't know, but I, I knew that meant he was going to be busy. Mm-hmm. And I'll also say, like from my perspective, again, this is just me, but I don't want to talk to my wife about that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to talk to my wife. I don't want to explain to her what's going on with this and what I don't want. I don't. I want to talk to her about like what our kids are doing or what we're having for dinner or whatever. I want to talk about other stuff. That's what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about team guy stuff with my wife. That's not, so maybe that, you know, plays into it too. And, 
Yeah, I mean, my like I said, my wife would, she would barely know where I was going or whatever. And it's partly because I didn't want her to worry, yes, but also I just don't I want to talk about other stuff. Mm. Yeah. Talk about work, you know, 19 hours with these dudes. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it with you, darling. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about something else. Uh, but at some point you must have realized or did you start to see like, hey, these things are wearing on Chad? These deployments are like, was was there a change in his in his attitude, in his personality, in in the way he carried himself? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I think it's hard to distinguish when exactly that was. And, and I'm going to bounce around a minute. I just had to scroll through a bunch of photos. Jason and I were working on something. And through scrolling through those photos the other day, what I realized is... When he really got bad, it was two years before he died. So 2016, I can almost see it through photos. But even before that, um, I do know, I know some stories now since he's died that he never shared with me. And 2012 was a pretty big deployment, I guess, or crazy deployment. I don't know the best way to say that. And I think some stuff happened there. And 2014 he was starting to change a little bit more but what a spouse says is well that's just how they are mm-hmm. and the 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 world the media talks you know navy seals are big in the news now right it's since 9/11 since may of 2011 they're all over and they're made to be larger than life and they use these words and and so if a guy is always told how brave and fearless and heroic and strong they are, then he's got to believe that. He's got to live that. And then on the same t- token, you see with our special operators how they are, you know, quiet and how they do sit in the corner of the room and their back is always, you know, to the wall and they're always facing the door and they don't want to engage in conversation all the time and just chalk up all those those. PTSD symptoms that people like to throw out but it's I think it's very easy for someone like a spouse to say well that's just kind of how the guys are because they have a stressful job and they're beat down their body's broken so so you said when you're looking at pictures now and you're going through the years you can kind of start to identify things that you saw your that when you look back it becomes a little bit does it become more obvious as you look back Uh, yeah yeah I mean, I I couldn't tell you then, but it's uh, it's more obvious to me now. This might be a dumb question, but do you think that that has to do with the fact that we don't get taught anything about this kind of stuff? We meaning, and and maybe it's more prevalent now, but you know, um, I, I did a, a a couple podcasts on here um, about. Um, Lewis Puller, Lewis Puller Jr., he was the son of a famous Marine, the most famous Marine, named Chesty Puller. And Lewis Puller was, um, he was, he, his dad, Chesty Puller, was like the, the most iconic Marine ever. And he received five Navy crosses, and he, the, here's a good way to describe how iconic he is. He, uh, the Marine Corps has a, has a, uh, uh, what is it? A mascot, and they've had one. It's a bulldog, mm-hmm. and 
yeah, the mascot, I think they're on number 17, but the mascot is named Chesty. And at boot camp, they sing uh, Good Night Chesty, wherever you may be. That's what they do in Marine Corps Buka. So this guy, Chesty, pulled the most iconic Marine of all time. And he had a son. And his son was uh, not quite cut from the same cloth as his dad. You know, his dad was this kind of gruff guy, and this son was sort of a more mild guy. He wore glasses. He went to college. He uh, was just more of a cerebral type guy, and he gets done with college, and he's not really sure what he's going to do with his life. So he decides, well, you know, my dad was in the Marine Corps. I'll go join the Marine Corps. So he goes to join the Marine Corps. He can barely get in because his his eyesight's bad. The people that are looking at his application are like, wait a second, this says Lewis Puller Jr. Are you... Chesty Puller's son, he's like, yep, well, we, we can get you in. So he gets in the Marine Corps, goes through officer candidate school, goes through the basic school, and then it's 1968, so he goes to Vietnam. And when he gets to Vietnam, um, going on rotations in these three different spots and eventually uh, goes on an operation and he steps on a landmine, gets severely wounded. He loses both of his legs. He loses a bunch of his fingers and dexterity in his hands. Almost dies. I mean, it's just a miracle that they were able to keep him alive. And he 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 does stay alive. Um, comes back to America, you know, devastating for his dad. The great iconic Marine hero is breaking down when he sees his son. <sighs> Chesty Puller, um, Lewis Puller, you know, eventually recovered from his wounds and uh, wrote a wrote a book called Fortunate Son, which is an incredible book. And and sort of, you know, he was he'd gone down the path of alcohol and being an alcoholic and all this, and and um, eventually comes out of that, writes this book. The book gets published, and in 1994. He fell out of his wheelchair, injured himself, went back in the hospital. Um, they put him on painkillers. He got addicted to painkillers again, and and he killed himself. Mm. And what was when I when I did this series of podcasts about this? What was crazy was every single Marine, every single Marine, one hundred percent knows who Chesty Puller is, but. A vast majority of Marines that I talked to as that podcast was coming out did not know the story of his son. Mm. And it seems like the perfect way to educate people about the hardships that people face when they come home from war. And they, you know, obviously, Lewis Puller had a multitude of hardships as well. But it seems like the education that we receive. And not just us in the military, but then the families that there's things, hey, this is what we need to be looking out for. Mm-hmm. And it it seems like if you're if you now are looking back at pictures to be able to say, man, I see this. I remember this. These are the kind of things. Is this like like part of the things that you're trying to share now so that people have better education about this kind of stuff? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. And again, I'm no scientist. I'm no doctor. I don't have research under my belt, but I have what I've lived. And 
sitting in my chair, having been with this person for so long, you know, we, we, I didn't just like meet a team guy and then we got married and that's not to bust on anybody that did, but you know, I've known him almost his entire life and then to watch him through his career and then to lose him in this way, I didn't see all these signs and symptoms prior. I think if Chad, I want to believe that if Chad thought something was wrong with him, that he was probably trying to hide it from me. I have other girlfriends, widows, whose husbands took their life, and they have said that their husbands expressed to them the struggle they were having and, and what they were thinking about and you know their signs and symptoms, and I didn't have that. And it's not going to be the same for everybody. We're humans. We're all different. The whole biological DNA, it might express itself differently. But if we could maybe educate people a little bit more about the toll your service takes and um, and to know that even if you're not killed in action or killed in training or you don't die by suicide but you've led a very active career, you are going to be impacted some more than others and let's really have a conversation about what you might see and, and when is it going to be really pro- when is it really a problem mm-hmm. so as these deployments are adding up for chad i mean is when he's coming home is it are you what what, what is the kind of things you're noticing uh well that he's he was always super quiet guy um, never the loudest guy in the room, um, reserved. But as time goes on, he's even less. And when we first, you know, a teammate, we hung out with people and had friends. And when we first got to the command, we did that too. And then over time, we just didn't. We didn't do social things. I mean, we almost never, ever had anyone over to our house, ever. He never wanted anybody in our house. Um, he... He, and he says he likes to be home. He liked to be home with the kids and I, kind of what you mentioned. He's like, I'm with those dudes all the time. Like, I don't need to go hang out with them because I've just spent, you know, a rut trip in Chicago with them and I'm home now. But it, it what got really bad right away was his sleep. And I, I think that that's true for a lot of the guys is that, you know, sleep is so valued. And it's, if you think of your body, I like to think of it as a computer and if you don't turn the computer down every once in a while and reboot it, it gets jacked up, right? It doesn't run well. And that's what sleep provides all of us every single night. And if you've got a guy who has his body hurts, I mean, Chad fell off of a ladder um, pretty high up and jacked his back up. He messed his neck up off of a couple landings that he did. He was in a helicopter crash in 98. Um, so, you know, I mean, his body – he. And I say this because I know so many of the guys are like really broken and, and and he's probably the least of it in terms of broken bones and this and that. But his body was beat up as most of them are. And then you add on top of that just the mental strain of war, just deployments, you know, sleeping over in some shitty ass village compound. You, you know, you're listening to blasts coming in. Uh, the the high cycle of just like missions going out going out going out okay being away from your family and and even though I didn't call my husband and say hey this is broken or I need this 
maybe maybe that's all other spouses communicate. So now there might be stress because they got shit going on back home with their family. And so let's all add all that onto it. And now let's add, at least for our special operators, the whole blast injury concept. And the guys that have spent time, and, and I'm going to talk teams because that's what I know, but time in the teams the last 10 to 20 years, they 100%, in my opinion, are affected by blast injury because it comes from them breaching doors, which they do not just overseas, but in training, you know, helos, RPGs, all that. And that constant impact to the brain is terrible. It's terrible. And so you add all this stuff this guy's gone through and he can't sleep. He can't get a good night's sleep. So there's nothing helping him for his body to at least try to recover something. So his sleep went down bad. Is he, is he seeing doctors or anything? Is he talking to anybody about trying to get sleep? I mean, sometimes, you know, at some points they were giving away uh, like the sleep potions like it was nothing. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he did. He tried to do a lot of his own stuff, just like normal, regular remedy stuff and better sleep hygiene. And then he was diagnosed with sleep apnea, which a lot of them have. So they have a CPAP machine. I mean, why are there dudes in their 30s and 40s? with sleep apnea doesn't isn't that weird and then and you know and then what you also see in these guys is they get low testosterone and because of you know their adrenal glands are jacked up their cortisol levels are jacked up and so their testosterone is jacked up and I don't know how many of them are really willing to talk about it but I think there's a really large number of dudes in special operations that are in their 30s that are on testosterone and they're they're not I can't speak for everyone. I mean, I don't think they're on it for like they necessarily want to be jack. They're on it because their T's really low. And that's needed, you know? Oh yeah. I just not get fired up. Yeah. So so you're seeing all this stuff. Um is there is there a point where you start like trying to intervene yourself? Or is Chad just like, you know, uh, and again, I'm comparing this to my experience, like I would never, my wife didn't know if there was anything going on. Like if bad things were happening at work, my wife would not know. Well, and this is where like regret comes in and just kind of um, guilt, a lot of guilt. Because it's really easy to sit here now and list all the things I could have done to be a better wife. Um, But at the time, I... Chad and I, Chad and I are both the type of people that we want to work really hard at what we do and we want to be really, really freaking good at it. And being married to him, while there are spouses and they choose to, to whatever their route, maybe they work, maybe they stay home with their kids, everybody gets a choice, right? And my choice was to work and go this whole fitness CrossFit path. So when you're married to someone who's this Navy SEAL and does all these awesome things and gets these awards, I was super proud of them, but I also wanted my own identity and I wanted my own success. And and a lot of that driving force, truthfully, was always because I wanted him to be proud of me. And so he's working hard in the teams and I'm working really hard on this whole CrossFit side. And I, I don't think it's that I didn't want to intervene I just kind of thought we both were 
almost like handling her shit, if that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you're working, you're busy, you know, you're moving up, um, you know, within your troop and squadron and the whole thing, and, and I'm doing it over here, and then we come home and we take care of our kids, and I guess I just didn't take enough responsibility for that. Is there is there some point where you say, okay, this was sort of where you, you said you said when you were looking through pictures, you said two years before he died, you were like, yeah, th- I look back now and that this is a time period where there was definitely he he was you know over the edge. Yeah, I mean he he really got a shorter fuse for sure, um, and it generally wasn't with me. It it tended to be more with our kids. He would just snap, which was really out of character for him. And he would not listen. And I think a lot of spouses say, you know, my husband doesn't listen to me or my wife doesn't listen to me when I'm talking. But he, it, it's like he had no idea I was talking to him and I'd be sitting right next to him. And I've shared this story before, but I think it really says something that he – I said, Chad, you never listen to me. Like, just look at me. I need you to look at me, and I need you to focus. And he said, you know what? When you talk to me, I have to look around and think, well, that's not going to kill me, and that's not going to kill me. And I remember thinking, that's so weird. But now I realize if you're kind of in this hyper state and you don't have a way to get out of it. You go on deployment and you kind of have to stay on point, right? Head's always on a swivel. Even maybe when you're in bed, you got to be ready for the next thing. How do you turn that off when you come home? I'm not sure. I'm not sure they've really figured that out. So they come home and they're still kind of like overloaded. And and that's something that you notice because you're talking to him and he's like not responding and yeah, and and in the pictures, two years prior in the pictures when I look at it, he just had a completely different look on his face. It was almost like, like in pictures, it was almost like, I'm going to kill you. You know, like that whole like, it just, it's just not like him. Yeah, that, that's the, the interesting thing that you pointed out is like you've known him since he was whatever, 15. Yeah. And so you see this entire arc of a human Whereas, you know, if you, if you cut out, if you met him in 2010, you, you would see this much smaller picture that maybe wouldn't paint such a dramatic change in the way he, in, in his character and the way he acted, right? But you saw him since he was 15 years old and, you know, um, and then you see this, this whole story play out and so it becomes real clear. They're also being said since you're with him every day, you know, you're, you're, you're around him all the time. So there's also that, that thing where, you know, you don't notice that someone, you know, like you don't notice that my hair is going gray, right? Mm-hmm. Because like my wife doesn't, she might notice it now, but you know, over time she's not like, oh, your hair went gray today, right? It's like it happens gradually over time. Yeah. And so there's some of that I'm sure at play too, where, you know, one deployment, there's three degrees of change right the next deployment there's four degrees of change the next deployment there's five degrees of change okay so you look up in six deployments and that little bit each time you might not notice it so dramatically but from the 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 amount that he's on a different course mentally 
is dramatic. Yeah, and and I I try to take it back through chunks of our life, and and go back as far as our childhood, but more like when we were at Team Eight, how he was with his fellow team guys and peers, and the way that we interacted with them, and then when we got out of the military, the way that he was, and you know we had friends and did all the things normal couples and families do, and then coming back. And, and then being at the command for the first couple of years, it was that way. And then slowly he just did less and less socially. He was a little more cut off. And then as it got farther along, he just was a little quieter. And, you know, the last year or two of his life, I'm it's sad. I'm like, gosh, I don't even know how much he smiled. Yeah. And no, um, no, no, him saying like, "Hey, I got to talk to somebody." No, no. <sighs> Which, um, and I mean, I, I, I'm guessing it's changing now, but I mean, that's the culture from buds from basic SEAL training, don't go to medical, right? Don't go to medical, don't talk to anybody. If you got a stress fracture in your leg, let it break. Don't go to medical. Hobble around as long as you can. Don't, like that's, and again, it's not like anybody tells you. Of course, what do the instructors say? Yep, go to medical, check in if you got if you're feeling, but the, the culture is, and it's the same in every unit. It's, it's every unit's like this. I mean, and it's special operators, every unit. It's every unit in the military. Suck it up, don't say anything, don't go to medical, Hand, like you said, handle your shit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, I think the guys are just too, I, th- I, I, I don't know what they think. I don't know if they think maybe this is just me, like what's up with me, am I fucked up? I don't want to tell my buddies I might be a little fucked up. Or they don't want to hurt their service. Or they just want to ignore it and hope it'll go away. They think they'll just like muscle through it. I, I don't know what they think. But somehow we need to shift the needle a little bit to recognize you do all this training. I mean, millions of dollars are spent on these guys, you guys, to train. Millions of dollars. And, and, you know, I mean, Chad was a sniper and free fall jump master and, you know, name all the things. And you took the time to teach him that. So why wouldn't you take the time to also teach them about maybe some ways that they're going to be potentially impacted after multiple years of service? It's 2021, and right now what we're about to see are people that have served their entire career post-9-11. So this suicide epidemic, it is not going away. It's only ramping up. Yeah, you know, when I, when I kind of started off talking about this, that, that's the connection that I made as I was, like, listening to your story, hearing it is you know we've made all these developments in all these different wars from the problems that the wars cause right and yet and i didn't even talk about like the like these current wars the prosthetics you see the prosthetics that people have now they're amazing 
You know, they can do all these incredible things and we make these massive advancements. And yet this is just like over here in this dark corner, not not really being addressed. Now, I, I take that back. There is there are, there are things that are happening now that they are starting to address. I know that they're doing like baseline studies of guys. I don't know what you know about this stuff, Jason, but they're doing mm-hmm. like baseline studies, uh, brain studies on guys so they can kind of tell where they're at so they can see what kind of impact they've had over over time. So I think maybe it is starting to come to light a little bit now. Uh, but certainly I don't think the culture has a big change to it yet because – I mean, it's hard. To, it takes it takes time well, and effort to change culture. It would crush the recruitment process, wouldn't it? We've known for years because of history and wars that when you go serve your country, there's a likelihood you could die. You're, you're choosing to serve and die potentially by your flag. But it would really crush recruitment if insert Army, Navy, whoever, and you say, hey, you want to be a SEAL? You want to be a Green Beret? You want to be a, and you say, you're going to come, you're going to do your service, you're going to do cool shit, you're going to jump out of airplanes, you're going to shoot guns, and you're going to kill bad guys. And if you make it, by the end of it, you might also have some pretty severe mental health issues and some brain injury. Are you good with that? I, You know, it's hard for them to pony up and say that because, oh man, is that going to crush our number? I think people would still show up for that. I mean, it's like because everybody, when you when you do this, you're you're like, well, that's not going to happen to me. Oh, I know. I mean, I I other guys, not me. I I did the Keiko form before every deployment, and I was fully prepared as you can be as a spouse in the world we were living in. I mean, we attended many funerals in those last ten years that my husband might not come home. And if he doesn't come home, he's going to come home and a coffin with the flag over it. That's not what I got. So where does it where does it go towards towards the end what are you seeing towards the end one of the biggest things was well he started putting on weight and you know he would joke because he was over 40 and he's like you don't love me anymore because I'm getting heavy which would never be the case but um, he started putting on weight but what really started to happen and and pretty drastically I would say the last six months that I can look back now is he got really puffy his face got puffy, almost like, this sounds terrible, like have you ever seen a fish in water? It's dead and it's kind of like bloated. Mm-hmm. That's how his face got. And um, and I, he also, as weird as this is, I would always kind of kiss him on his temple and he didn't smell the same. Hmm. And I thought, oh, that's weird. Well, I've learned <laughs> since then a lot more about the way the brain's affected and to go back to that kind of systemic derailment. When you have a blast injury, uh, you know, you, it's it's a wave, right? It goes through the air and basically your brain shakes up inside your skull. And, and that's what it's built 
to do. That's why we have a skull and that's how it's made. But it's not made to get that over and over again. So when that happens and there's swelling in the brain, it then starts to affect everything else because the brain is connected to the rest of your body. And and you see where not only hormones get derailed, but... um, you know, your your metabolism gets jacked up. So the guys start to gain weight. And when your metabolism gets jacked up, it also messes with the ketones in your body, which would be like, you know, factoring in with your urine and different things. And that's what changes the way they smell. Hmm. And the puffiness is because, well, sure, if he's got brain injury and there's any swelling or there's just systemic swelling in the body, it's got to go somewhere. And so we start to notice it in the face. And again, I didn't know any of this mm-hmm. stuff prior. And and that's not to say someone listening, you, you're sitting there and you look over at your husband, you're like, my husband's face is puffy. But there's something to be said that uh, PTSD is a genuine thing, I believe. I also believe it's overused a lot. And this is, is a whole step further than PTSD. Well, and also you're talking about it's 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 not just hey your face is puffy we have an issue no it's this 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 you add all these things together and you get that many red flags yeah then that's you, you know you've got the the being short tempered you've got the hey uh, you smell different hey you're not talking hey um, you know you're 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 not working out as much as you used to. You just start adding all these red flags together, and it's like, okay, you know, we have we have we have to address this. Well, and and when you think about the different parts of the brain, you got your your limbic brain, your monkey brain deep inside. That's what tells you what's safe. Is this dangerous? This is why we don't walk into the street, right? We know that's dangerous. The prefrontal cortex kind of is, hmm, how do I feel about that? So. If, if the brain is affected, that's when we see them, you know, the short fuse, how do I feel, I'm angry, uh, I'm aggressive, maybe I'm sad, different emotions. But when it's brain injury, and we've heard CTE, right, punch drunk, NFL players, our guys get it too. Our guys are getting interface astroglial scarring. And that's almost like, think of like a ricochet almost bullets through the brain and that's what comes from the blast injury and that's able to penetrate that deep monkey brain of like is this safe for me that's why guys make decisions that are really really bad whether it's you know drinking too much um infidelity or you know i have a friend who he's good now but he had his daughter in the car and had been drinking and was speeding well far above the speed limit. Any father would know none of that is good, but he wasn't able to make the right decision. So yeah. So I started to see, looking back, I can see how, how he had changed and, and I, I've shared with Jason too, Chad climbed Mount Aconcagua in January and of 2018. And that's, that's the second highest summit in the world. It's the highest uh, in South America. It's in Argentina. And he went and climbed this. It's a little over 23,000 feet. And I will never know 
But I do believe that him climbing that mountain exacerbated any of his brain injuries that he had. And I've since talked to um, a doctor who I respect highly. She's been studying blast injuries in Kosovo soldiers since the early 90s, or at least that's who she started with. And I asked her about that. And she, you know, again, she didn't test Chad's brain, but she was pretty confident that that was probably the case too. Yeah, I mean, well, how long was that? That's got to be uh, a couple weeks at least of a Three of weeks. an evolution. Yeah, and Three it's weeks. lack of O2, highly strenuous. Yeah, and so now you've got this brain that's injured. We what what encourages uh, healing in the body? Blood, blood flow. Right? You have surgery. Okay, cool. Your knee surgery. Once you get up, we want you to move your knee because we got to get blood flow to it because we want it to heal. Right? Brain's injured wait, now I'm going to go up 23,000 feet and I'm going to be without oxygen. It really needs to heal itself. Yeah, one of my, um, um, the guys go through uh, the hyperbaric chamber, right? Which is just O2, Mm -hmm. pressure, O2. It's the opposite of climbing a 23,000 foot mountain and it provides a lot of healing, Mm -hmm. a lot of healing to guys. So to have, to do the opposite of that, I mean, it seems. I asked her about that and she said, I said, is that something that would help? And she said, yes, but not initially after injury. I mean, we're talking different things because mm-hmm. you're talking about guys that have been back for a while. And we do see people who have a little bit exacerbated sy- symptoms at a higher elevation. My best friend's husband, they live in Colorado. And I said to this doctor, I said, what would you say if there was a 20-year Navy SEAL veteran who's done upwards of probably 10 deployments without a doubt probably does have some some brain blast injury and lives at eight to ten thousand feet and before I could even finish the sentence she just shook her head no no she just kept shaking her head no and she said bad bad very bad I'd tell him to move what was Chad's uh like debrief points on the on the mountain climb. What do you what do you say about it? He said it was really hard, really hard. Um, I think he was really proud of himself for doing it. But when he came home and walked in the door, I mean, he was so skinny. Just you know, just, what do you want, lose fifteen twenty pounds? Probably. Um, and he came in and he just said, "Baby, that was that was really freaking hard," and. I just didn't really ever hear him say that about anything. And I was like, oh, well, you did it. You know, good job. And he said, Denali's next. And that was his plan. And when was that? That was in January of 2018? Yeah. And how about the interactions, like, with the kids at this point, the family? Like, is it, are you noticing more? Is it, is it? Um, plateaued out um well at this point it's we have teenagers and I remember saying to him they don't even want to like hang out with us or be home or anything and he's like I didn't want to hang out with my parents when I was 14 17 uh we did take a family trip that June of 2018 we went to the Grand Canyon and again I look back at those pictures and he definitely was not there. Like he wasn't on the trip. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He he was obviously there, but 
we we stayed in a couple different cities we kind of jumped around arizona for a while and you know we're staying in this really nice hotel and he didn't want to leave the room you know it's granted it's june in arizona so it is very very hot but you know he didn't really want to come down to the pool he just wanted to sit in the room and you're like okay but we're on a family vacation and um one time he was sitting down by the pool and I saw him from a distance and he just was kind of like leaned over in the chair, just like zoning out. Just, he was just not there. And I said, Hey, I walked up, I said, Hey, what are you doing? And he's like, nothing. Yeah. Just things like that. He just wasn't, I don't know what he was thinking about. So where's it go from there? Well, in in the timeline, yeah, yeah. So he um, he this year in 2018, I think, is when it started. He switched squadrons, so he was moving around within the command, and he he had said that he didn't think that this is what he was supposed to be doing. I remember him saying, I just, I don't think this is right. I don't think this is really the path I'm supposed to be on. And again, he didn't really share a lot with me. And he, and I said, well, you're someone who's always accomplished every goal you've ever set for yourself. You make a goal, you go do it. So he had this goal for himself. He had, was in the process, I guess, of attaining the goal. And I said, maybe this is just the first time you change your mind. Like, you just don't want to do it. That's okay. You can you can decide to change your mind. And he was like, well, they've spent so much time and, and money on, on doing this. And again, he didn't tell me any details. And he said, he goes, I know I'm not really telling you much, but it makes me feel good to talk about it. And I was like, okay, because if he's going to talk, I'm going to listen. And um, yeah, so something was bugging him. And I don't, I don't know what, but something was really bugging him. And... The beginning of October, he started hanging up his awards and things in the house, which he never did before. So we had, you know, like a lot of guys, all plaques and awards, and he has a silver star and a Navy Marine Corps medal and a bronze star and all the things. (laughs) And we had them all framed years ago, but he never hung them up. And he just thought it was really weird to hang that stuff up in your house. Because he said, "What's someone's going to come in the house and it's just like, look at me. And I always thought that was weird that he had to struggle with that. But yeah, he hung him up in our stairwell to our house. So maybe like you and your wife, marriage is a compromise, right? And I thought, you know, almost no one comes in our house anyway. And if someone were to come in our house, the only they, way they would see him is if they went up our stairs, basically to our bedrooms. But in my mind, I just thought, well, at least he's hanging them up so they're not going to get, like, broken or busted or anything. And um, he talked about hanging a Somali flag on one wall, which you would have seen when you come in the front door. And I just remember thinking, that's so weird. And I thought he was really messing with me. And when I turned around to kind of laugh, I realized he, he was serious. He was dead serious. And he's like, yeah, I guess that's that's dumb, huh? And I was like, well, maybe. I I asked him if he was okay. 
I, I remember kneeling down in front of him and I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. But there, if there was any sort of like first feeling, it was like, he is off. I would have never thought three weeks later he would take his life, but that's what happened. So it's interesting, and while I, I won't share her story, I, my other girlfriend will tell you who knew that her husband was struggling. About two months prior, there was just like a, a switch. Two months, and he was gone. So for me, I think it was three weeks, and he was gone. I think they just meet this like threshold and and I don't know how we figure out where that is. That's going to be half to left to scientists. But but there is some threshold that happens and and then the switch is flipped. And is he still going to work? I mean this the, you, you kneel down in front of him. You say are you okay? He says yeah. Do you buy it? Um you want to buy it? I did buy it, and and this again is a is one of those post death struggles. Um, when someone takes their life, you military or not, you are left with so many questions, and I think that's 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 the beast to not have answers. And I believed him because there is nothing I didn't tell him. So I believed that if there was something he needed to tell me, he would tell me. And then he goes into work. Yeah. He went into work. He had a, he had a work trip the week before. This is when it gets really weird. So he had a work trip, and he could drive there, and he was supposed to come home on a Friday. And he called me on a Thursday. They had used rental cars to go up there. And he said, hey, I'm coming home early. Can you pick me up? from the rental car place whatever and I was like oh okay and pick him up he we had to take her I had to go get my son from a football game so I drive him back home and he instantly comes in the house so Chad had been doing had had a concealed carry license and he'd been rolling with a concealed carry you know when he's home around town for probably the last year or two and again I didn't really think much of it because, I mean, well, crap, he's a team guy, and and this is America. Mm-hmm. So um, we come home, and he instantly goes to the safe and gets his gun, and I said it was just kind of frantic. And I said, you realize that we're going on a school to pick up Hudson? He said, I'm not getting out of the car. And I, it was very, like, short. And I was like, okay. So we go, no big deal. I, and the whole time he's in the seat, he's just like – he just seemed uncomfortable. Um, I learned later that, and I, I don't know any details of whatever he was doing, but he was in a course and he withdrew from the course. He never quit anything. He never like stepped down from anything I'd ever known. So that conversation about, I'm not sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, that came later that night when he got home and um this was on a thursday and on friday i had to leave to go uh, i was working down in raleigh 
I could drive there for a seminar. A CrossFit seminar. Yeah. And we talked about it, um, that he needed to call his doctor because he felt like he just needed to check in, like maybe his testosterone was off, maybe something. He's like, he wasn't feeling good. Earlier that week, he told me that he had some headaches and like some stomach aches. He had said he didn't feel good, which again, Chad never said. I mean, I don't know if ever he said, I don't feel good. I mean, he didn't say it like that, but he would never say that to me, but he did. He didn't feel good. And so the deal was when I left, he was going to make an appointment with his doctor and he was going to make an appointment to talk to his boss about whatever his work situation was to try to figure out what his path is going to be. And I left, I told our kids, Hey, you know, dad's kind of stressed out. Just, just, just so you know, he's got a lot on his plate right now. And when I left, I'm leaving Virginia beach and I just had this like gut and like pit in my stomach. Like I just felt like I shouldn't be leaving him. But I did, and went to Raleigh, worked, talked to him on Saturday, um, and on Sunday, Kinsley called and, and said that dad's acting really weird, and he's just laying on the landing, and he's just staring at the ceiling. And I just, I just, that's just weird. <laughs> that's just weird. And... um uh, I was four hours away and I had to work still full seminar and I just knew I had to get home. So the seminar finishes and um, I get in the car as quick as I can and, and try to race home. And he called me at one point and he just said, I love you. And I kind of laughed and I said, oh, I love you too. And he's like, no, I mean, I really love you. I love you so much. I love you so much, Sarah. And he knew I loved it when he would say my name. And I said, you know, I love you too, but can I call you back? I had a really bad headache. And honestly, I was just really trying to get home. So fast forward a couple hours later, I get home and I go in the house and He's upstairs and he's rummaging below the bed for something. And I come in and he turns to me and um, I hug him and kiss him. And he kind of just like, like collapses in my arms a little bit. So I just hug him for a second. And I, I just think in my mind, well, I'm home now. So I'm near you and I'm going to try to just, I didn't think at the time that I needed to necessarily keep you safe. I thought I just had to keep you close and and make you feel better. And so I got I had to get a shower and I said come talk to me while I'm in the shower and when I went around in the bathroom to start the shower, he wasn't right behind me and I looked out the door and he had just like collapsed like face first on the bed, kind of like the letter T, like arms out to the side, his head was to the side like like just exhaustion. And I said, "What what are you doing? Come on. Come in." And so I get in the shower, and he's sitting on the bathtub, and he's just had bent over, and he's got his hands on either side of his head, and he's holding his hair, and he's kind of like gripping his hair. And I kept saying, "What's wrong? You know, what's going on?" And he got to talk to me, and he just kept saying, "I don't know." Um. Anyway, I asked him to pass me a towel, and he looked at me, and he he was not. He wasn't there. Like his eyes were just like I was just like looking straight through his eyes. And 
I just laid down with him in bed, and I just thought if I could keep him next to me, then then he would feel better. But that wasn't the case. So I woke up in the middle of the night, and he was standing there, dressed, uh, looking out the window. And I said, what are you doing? And he just said, I don't know. I said, well, come lay back in bed with me. And he did. And um, the next morning, early, I woke up. I, I woke up to see just him walking out the door. I saw, like, the back of his shoulder leave. leave. Uh, and I, I it, it's like I couldn't talk. It was like I couldn't get up. I don't know if it's just because I was sleepy or what, or I wasn't really processing, like, oh, he's leaving right now. And then I couldn't find him. So I, I woke up, you know, a little while later, and he, he, I couldn't find him. So I looked around, and I thought, well, maybe he went for a walk. Maybe he went for a run. Maybe he went to go get coffee. I tried calling him. He didn't answer. I texted him. He didn't answer. Um, and went around in my head trying, trying to figure out where he could be. I got in my car at one point, and I thought I'll drive around. And then I thought, where am I? Where, literally, like, which direction would I drive? What's happening? I thought, well, did he leave for work? He was supposed to leave on a work trip. But I figured he was also going to talk to his boss. So, you know, did he go to work? I just didn't know. I called his dad. Um, but because he was so weird the night before, I just thought it was weird that he left and he didn't say bye. He never didn't not kiss me goodbye. Never. He actually would do this. I'd be upstairs and he'd say, okay, bye. I'll see you later. And he would slam a door in the house just to see me run down furiously down the steps because he knew I would get so spun up if he left and didn't kiss me goodbye. So I don't know what I was thinking. I just know I wanted, I just wanted confirmation of where he was. And I finally called the command and I talked to the psych there and she asked me a bunch of questions. Uh, One of the questions she asked was, how does he feel about, and he asked, he said Chad's boss's name. And I thought that was a really weird question. because another thing I really loved about Chad is is he really never said anything bad about people. So, you know, if he liked you or didn't like you, I, I didn't really know. He just, that's that's how he walked. And I was like, I have no idea. Um, but she, she just kind of let me think he's on his way to work. You know, like he's probably left and is on this training trip. And um, a little while later, I, I had talked to her again. And I said, you know, everything's here. His toothbrush is here. His medicine is here. His sunglasses are here. He wouldn't leave with all that stuff. And she told me, um, due to the privacy of his job, it would be likely that he wouldn't be answering his cell phone. And I said, okay. So... Like the wife that I was, I kind of just thought, okay, so he must have gone, and it was it was a driving trip up the coast a little bit, so I thought, okay, he was supposed to be back the next day. And so I think about that, and my kids came home from school that day, and they said, where's dad? 
And I said, oh, I, I don't know. I think he left on this work trip. He should be home tomorrow. And I'm saying that almost feeling like I'm lying because I don't believe it. But I'm trying to believe it because that's what I was told and and why wouldn't you, right? Um, so this point, you know, he disappears Monday morning, probably I'm saying somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. And Monday goes by. We started demolition on our house. We were doing renovations. That started that day. And Tuesday comes and... I went, my house sits near a lake. You can see it from my front porch. And I went for a run. And, I, and, and this is why I'm sharing it. It'll make sense in a minute. But I, I went for a run and I ran past the lake, down the bike path, all around. And I was going to sit at the lake for a minute. It's the end of October. It's Virginia Beach. The weather, the weather was really beautiful that day. And I was going to sit on the bench at that lake. But I didn't because I wanted to go inside and shower and like curl my hair and look nice for when he got home. So I did that and dropped my son off at a friend's house. He was going to play, going to a football game. And as I was pulling back in, a psych from work called and said, ma'am, your husband didn't report to muster. Um, we're heightening the alert. And I said, that's bad. That's bad. That's very bad. And I pretty sure I hung up the phone on him and when I got out of my car so now where my car was it's um in this cul-de-sac nearby and 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 it's facing that lake and my house is on the left and as I'm walking up to my house the head contractor for the renovations comes out and he says Miss Sarah there's two police officers at your back door I I called my best friend Courtney her husband and my husband were in buds together. And I said, you need to come to my house right now. And I just hung up the phone. And I didn't know what was going on. I just thought something is like, seriously. And I went in my front door and out my back door, the way the house is, and there were two cops in my garage. And they were. we stood outside the door and they said, um, ma'am, do you know where your husband is? And I said, no, I, I can't find him, and I haven't been able to find him. And I asked them if they could move farther down into the street because we were right underneath my daughter's window, and I knew that she was upstairs. And I just didn't want her to be I – just, I just didn't know what was happening. Um, so we moved out into the street, and this cop just – opens his door and he like digs something out of his car and he just turned to me and he said ma'am I'm really sorry to tell you but we found your husband and he took his life and I was all alone so right about that time Courtney pulled up Sorry. I'm sorry. Courtney pulled up and I think I was screaming and she bear hugged me from behind and I think we I pretty much took her to the ground, I think. And she said, You don't know that. So she screamed at him, You don't know that. Well he'd taken his life at that lake. 
and he could see our house from where he was. At least that's what they tell me. So, um, my daughter's upstairs in a room by herself, and she can see and hear everything. And my son is at a friend's house, and I'm pretty sure my neighbor went to pick him up. So he told my son. So, um, I, you have to understand, like, logistically speaking, there's a lot of things that just don't make sense. Where my car was when I got out of it and that guy said the cops were at the back door, if they had just found his body, I didn't see anybody over by that lake. It had been like 36 hours since I couldn't find him. We went back later, and, and, I, and I do think he was at the lake, and this is why. We went back later, and in our neighborhood, so many people have cameras on their house, and there's footage of Chad. And the bike path that lines that lake uh, if you walk to it, it kind of tees, and if you go left, it takes you all the way up to the main road that the cars go in and out of the neighborhood. And I think we f- we timed it so that cameras caught him walking that way, and that would have been right at the same time he would have watched our kids leave for school. So... When um when when this is happening, when this is getting like when 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 he leaves in the morning and you, you start thinking like where is he? Is there any part of your brain that's thinking he could kill himself? No. So Well, I take that back. I did ask Chad's dad. I was trying to get into the safe. Um, so I guess I guess there was a part of me that did, but this he this was a little farther on in the morning. So when I first couldn't find him, I just couldn't find him. But then after a while, he, I think it might have been his dad that said, have you checked the safe? And so it took me a minute to try to remember the combo. And I got in there and... To my knowledge, all the guns were there, but apparently they weren't. I guess the reason I'm asking you that is because, I don't know, various conversations in my I've had in my life with various people at various times, and the conversation is something like, you know, well, you know that little exploration of, well, hey, I'm worried about him. And then there'll be some kind of an explanation like, what do you mean? Well, I'm just worried like he might kill himself. And then the conversation is, he would never do that. Right? So that idea of we think we know, 
We think we know what someone's going through. We think we know what's going on in their heads. And I think that we don't know. We don't always know. And, you know, like, um, he disappears, you know, like what, that's what I was just thinking. Like, what was that in your head of like, Hey, you know what? He's, you know, he probably is going to see his parents or he's, you know, going to go freaking surfing or whatever he's going to do. But this crazy idea that he might go kill himself, it seems so unbelievable, you know, um, for someone that's like, hey, he's been through whatever, 10 deployments. He's done all this. He's done this. He's done that. We got kids. We got a house. We got all these things going on, all these good things going on in our lives. That's not a, that's not going to happen. And it seems like oftentimes people are caught off guard by it. People are caught off guard. And I know you mentioned a couple of friends where there was real signs of, you know, Hey, not things aren't going good for the individual. But, but a lot of times I hear it's like, you know, there's been some suicides in the seal community where there was no indication at all at all of any kind and and it seems like we're conditioned to sort of not even think that it's a feasible thing i uh, guilt i you know i i was just as bad as as the military makes the guys out to be because as I said in his funeral to me Chad was unbreakable I mean to me he had done all these really amazing things in his life he he's you know he everything he did he did well everything he did and seal you know great ridiculous high gpa when he's going to night school and he has a wife and a baby and really good in sniper school and went and got his project manager license certification all that in the business world and whatever fill in the blank uh, climbing mountains qualifying for the crossfit games like insert whatever he just was so unbreakable to me and and i guess that's Part of my, what I want people to recognize with your person is that, they, yeah, they're Navy SEALs, but at the end of the day, you're just dudes, <laughs> you know? You're dudes and humans and with a heart and a conscience and dads and husbands and brothers and sons and um, not unbreakable. There's um, a book written by a guy named David Hackworth who is a Vietnam Korean war veteran and one of the things that he talks about is the fact that like people are different, right? And as you mentioned, people are different and some things impact different people different ways. And he described like there's a cup that people have and, and when it gets filled up with like the stress and the trauma, once it overflows, like that's it. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you, if it overflows, that's it. 
like you you that's it and different people have different size cups and some people got a freaking five gallon jug and some people got a teacup and and everything in between and i i compare that to a, another uh war veteran dick winters who is the character of band of brothers you ever seen that but he's got a book about about war as well and his big thing was like when that cup they use a different metaphor but when the cup starts to get filled up you need to get the person out of the situation and if you get them out of the situation the cup like the the water will dissipate and it'll go back down and and they can continue they can go back they can continue to perform their job but same thing if you let the cup overflow then it, it it's it can you can't put the water back in there you know i i always talk when i talk to people about this kind of stuff I talk about the check engine light in a car, right? If the check engine light comes on, you take it in for a service. You, you stop driving it. And as long as you take it in for a service and it gets some downtime and the engine cools and you put in fresh oil, whatever, the engine's gonna be okay. But if the check engine light comes on and you just keep running that engine, you're gonna burn that engine out and you, you'll destroy the engine. And you know, I, I think that all these things come into play and that's what makes this so difficult is everyone's just got a different size cup and everyone's got a, you know, a different time that their check engine light comes on and how much it's going to take to get that thing cooled back down. And it makes it, it makes it so challenging to universally say, okay, well, here's the limitation that people have. So I think what you're doing, talking about how to identify that check engine light so people can see it. And then also trying to help people to recognize <laughs> that you gotta kind of you gotta do your best to see your own check engine light, and when that freaking thing comes on, you gotta do something about it. And if you don't do something about it, you're gonna blow out the engine, and then you're no good. Yeah, and, and as we've said a couple times, that the guys don't want to worry the spouse or I say spouse or first responder, like who's, who is your, your go-to person, right? They don't want to worry the spouse. But if I were to ask the, someone that was struggling right now, maybe they're sitting there and they're, they're, they've thought about taking their life and they say, I don't want to bother my spouse. I don't, I, I, I would, it would be better for her if I wasn't here. And, and I can't speak to the relationships that people have. But sitting on this side of it, Sorry, I'm like total crier today. He didn't even give me the chance to help him. That hurts. So it it's on one hand you can say, well, he didn't want to burden you. You know, he he just he didn't want to cause you any worry. But I mean, look at where I am now. Did he not think that this wouldn't like devastate me forever? He didn't even give me the opportunity to like try to help. You know, Jocko, the the hard part comes in when you've got guys who (laughs) you're, you're bred not to talk about this stuff. You're just constantly bred. And the, the interesting part for me in this journey of, of learning Chad's story and my wife, Emily and I getting to to know Sarah and her family really well and, and going really into this issue is there's actually something that happens to your brain, right? It's, this is not something where 
it's not like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've just got this, this inexplicable weakness going on. Because that, that's what it is in the teams, right? It's like, oh, that dude's weak if he goes and does this. And, you know, but if you, if you blow your back out or if you, you know, you get shot or if you do, you know, things that are acceptable injuries, you know, by just by, by team room standards of sorts. Right. And the thing that's that it's like my best friend in basic training killed himself and I didn't unpack that at all. Right. I mean, his dad was a general and that was something that in my training, it's just, uh, you know, I, I couldn't sit and, and think about this at all. It's like days of thunder, right? When, you know, Cole gets, Tom Cruise gets injured, right? I mean, the injured driver goes way over there and nobody ever wants to be around them. And for me personally, I had to just kind of take that and say, all right, I, I have a job to do. And he was weak, good friend of mine. And he just, that's, that can happen to him. And there's something, what I told myself was, there's something that he was born with that made him do that. And this just kind of brought it to life. And when you hear Chad's story, if you think that, you didn't hear the story. Because, you know, that's the word of caution to, to the guys in our profession and to, to millions of Americans out there, right? The, this idea that you're born with this or you're not, I mean, situation brought this brought this out, right? It's chronic stress, chronic pain going on from injuries and, and just the way that you train, the way that, I mean, it, it takes its toll. And, and then that leads to all sorts of things. And, you know, the brain is something that we don't really study that well. We don't study it much at all. And, you know, it's one of those things where we're able to, to you know, cure this virus almost a, a year later with a, a huge national surge because we, we give a shit and it matters. And this is something that is just kind of still floating around over here. I mean, w- what's it going to take? We're, we're losing our, some of our most valuable people on, uh, in, in our country, right? To, to something that we just don't understand. But what I know, my mental shift is to say there wasn't one bit of weakness in Chad Wilkinson. There was something that is inexplicable that we just have not explained yet that, that changed inside of him. And some decision-making process, you know, it, it just, it changed. And, and we have a long ways to go. Yeah, there, there's a famous football player from San Diego, a guy named Junior Seau. Have you ever heard of him? Oh, yeah. Like the most beloved, uh, probably San Diego Charger, maybe even the most beloved San Diego athlete. Total stud, you know, a beast of a human like a super nice guy he was just in, just this incredible human being and he retired from the NFL and he killed himself like he had everything and you know that 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 made me think of this you know Sarah when you're like talking about Chad and when I've talked to people that like are are depressed straight up depressed their heads in in like this their heads in a storm their heads in like darkness and and it's really like from the outside you look at them and you think oh yeah well hey man it's you know you're in this bad situation but it's only it's only just right around you and if you come over here a little bit you'll be out of the storm like come on over but from their perspective no matter where they look it's like darkness 
and they just see the storm and they don't see that if they can move forward more, they can go a little bit further and they don't see that everybody's on the outside going, hey, like, it's okay, man, it's super sunny and bright and the f- like there's a rainbow over here and everything's cool, just just, just move over here a little bit and they can't, they, they don't see it. They don't see it, they can't see it. They can't see it because it's there. That's, what they're, that's what's around them. And so like, it just causes them to do things that don't make any sense to us because we're looking at them from the outside going, hey, it, like, no, it's sunny, it's sunny. And they can't see it. And it's like trying to convince people, it, 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 it's almost impossible, it seems almost impossible to try and convince someone that that storm that they see 360 degrees around them, thunder, lightning, winds, that's what they see, and to convince them that, hey man, right over here, it's sunny, and it's a nice beach day, and it's 80 degrees, and we're gonna, it's okay. They, they, they can't see it, and it's so hard to get them out of that cloud. And I, and I think that's where people get stuck. And it's so frustrating from the outside because we can see all that other good stuff that they just don't have the ability to see anymore. So I think it's like a combination. You, know, you got, like I said, Junior Seau. What better life could that guy have set up for himself? <laughs> you know, he's got everything that a person could want. And yet he's in this cloud and it, it consumes him. I mean, so did Chad, right? I mean, a exactly. great, great family, great exactly. life. He had respect. He had honor. I mean, he had everything. It doesn't get better than that, right? I mean, that's that's the the currency when you're in that line of line of work. You just want you want to be respected, and and you want them to think, oh, he he's doing a good job. And you know, you, you look at you look at where he went and what he did. He he had that. And when you can't see it, there's there's just something. There's something else going on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so when, when you kind of look at that, I mean, you know, it's like what's the responsibility moving forward, right? I mean, there's some command responsibility. I'm not sitting here pointing fingers backwards. I'm sitting saying like, you know, part of what we want to do is, is educate the next, the next crop. And I know you're huge on this as well. And I mean, it's the hardest thing to do sometimes is to take someone out of the game. It's like, you know, we, we started this in football. You've got the concussion measurements. And if you get a concussion, you've got to come out. And, you know, if it's your star player, you still got to come out. And, and you start to look at, like, how are we doing this in the military? You know, we kind of say the military is not a social experiment because it's not. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that when you get into these, especially units like DevGrew and Delta and SF, right? I mean, y- your job is to go win wars. I mean, this, this is not like that requires, I mean, the American alpha male is, is a very special kind of thing in, in the history of history. And it requires a special type of training. It requires all sorts of things that, that make it very difficult to, to stop them from wanting to keep going after that. You just, you, you, it's like we're breeding it into them. It's like you take American alpha males and you make them more alpha, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's quite impressive, and, and you create these units. I mean, they're storied units. I mean, DevGrew, SEAL Team 6. I mean, the SEALs, uh, it's, these, are, these are, you know, it's very impressive. And so how, how, do we, how do we 
how do we protect the guys though? And, and I say this from a two-way street. You know, I, it's one thing to sit here and say, oh, you know, we, we got to know that if we're not sleeping well, that there's something wrong and that's going to be a problem. Like, okay, I'm, I'm like, I'm on a team. I'm like, yeah, got it, right? I'll take another pill, <laughs> right? Work out a little harder. Maybe I'll sleep better. Yeah, good, you know? And it, it's like, that's not going to work, right? It's not going to work. It's, at some point, we have, to, we have to put more of a systematic approach in here to mental health. We've done that. In, in SF, right? I mean, they're starting to treat Green Berets like professional athletes, which is great. You know, you've got a locker room, you've got, you know, the physical trainers, you get physicals, you get checked up, you get all these things. And, you know, if we don't, then it's too much of the loss is in vain. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and they they definitely are moving in that direction in in the teams, in the SEAL teams, like the the baseline studies that they're doing. They are, they are absolutely moving that direction. I mean, they have whole... Uh, organizations within the organization that are focused on that and um, yeah I mean their the lessons have definitely been learned um, that, that's great I mean Chad Chad killed himself three years ago yep like they, they we're not moving we're not moving fast enough here I mean the the VA you know what the budget is for veteran suicide prevention it's 10.2 billion Wow that's a big number that is a big number Right. And, you know, the VA gets just shit on all over the place. Right. The VA is actually trying. I mean, if you look at budget, there's some trying there. They're trying experimental stuff, antidepressant nasal spray. Right. Virtual reality based suicide prevention training. I mean, these kinds of things, like they are there are things that that we are trying. We as a, a nation and it it's. At some point, you know, the guys that are close to the guys and, and, and gals, I don't want to, I don't want to exclude the, the female service members either because this affects them as well. I mean, you're, you're actually statistically more likely to commit suicide if you did not deploy than if you did. Explain that again. So if, if you did not, de- I mean, it's saying, you know. Like just because you were on SEAL Team Six, or just because you saw intense combat, right? That that's not a predictor of suicide. Hmm. So it, it might be a predictor of you know TBI and and those kinds of things. Because you know if all you do is explosive breach charges next to doors all day long, I mean, you know, commanders have to figure out a way to limit that stuff. Like you can only do this so many times. I got it. You don't want the first one to be on you know, the, the house downrange, you have, you have to work with live explosives, but, but at the same time, you you can't, you you can't just go through the same repetitions a million times. And, you know, I mean, the other part is you, you have your, your team time and you roll off a team and there's always guys behind you. And, And this is credit to America first off and credit to just who we are. We, we sign up and we say, send me. And, and there's a lot of us that, that answer that. When you're on that, when you're living that life and you're on these deployments doing this cool stuff, you don't want to miss any of it. You're like, this is my slot. Nobody's coming in behind me. And, you know, Sarah, you told me this. You're like, you know, and the truth of the matter is there's, there's a lot more SEALs right behind you. Mm-hmm. And so commanders have this at their, at their discretion. They have this, this ability to kind of how do we – we can take a look back now. Right. Remove all the politics about, you know, the wars are ending. Well, the wars aren't going to end for the tier one units ever. Right. But at the same time, we have an operational 
We're not, there's less going on. There's less work. And we have this ability to kind of reset a little bit the way that we're, the way that we're approaching this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, this kind of conversation right here is a thing that can hopefully move this in the right direction. And I know that's the main reason that you're sitting here today, um, is to try and move this in the right direction. Um, and, and you're actually, well, let's talk about how you're doing that. Let's talk about, you know, the actual charities and stuff that you guys are doing to try and raise, raise awareness. Yeah. So, uh, the one thing Jason and I are partnered on is the workout in honor of my husband. We refer to it as Chad 1000 X. Again, I spoke about this at his funeral as he prepped to climb that mountain, he did it by doing step-ups on a box, and he did it on a 20-inch box with a 45-pound pack, working up to 1,000 over a period of time. And then once he got there, then he would just like pump out 1,000 every couple days. Chad was super disciplined. He was incredibly focused in every goal that he had, and, and that's definitely something that I'm trying to have live within me this workout I talked about at his funeral and so it more or less organically kind of just became a thing right Dave was there CrossFit friends were there oh, Dave Castro was there yeah and they just did it on their own just because they thought oh challenge right that's cool a thousand step ups 45 you know man stuff let's do it <laughs> and then fast forward I'll stop you there I won't speak for Dave but I will say I mean, Dave knew Chad. They served, they served together. And he, he doesn't know how to process that, you know? I mean, he doesn't know how to process the loss of a friend, especially to suicide. And so, you know, he's trying to do – it is amazing how many people want to help, how many people this has affected. I mean, Chad's life, ripple effects huge. But everybody has this – there's some – this – this epidemic has touched so many people and nobody knows how to deal with it. Nobody knows how. I mean, am I supposed to do 22 push-ups in front of my you know, phone and, and publish it on social media? I mean, is that helping? 22 right. is not the number. Right. It's I mean, not even an accurate number. Yeah, it's, 17, it's yeah. 17 now, which, it, is, which is better. Um, you know? It's just it's so many people want to, want to help. So I think, you know, Dave, for his part, I mean, I know he... He wanted to to honor Chad, and you know I think he wanted other people to honor Chad as well, and and that's yeah. Uh, so so we've established Chad One Thousand X into an annual fundraiser, and there there are many spouses like myself, Gold Star spouses, and they've gone on and there's golf tournaments and there's five Ks and there's the like, and they raise monies for different organizations. This workout specifically, we want around Veterans Day because while it's Chad's face and I have kind of stepped into the, the role of sharing his story, for me, it has less to do with with Chad Wilkinson and more to do about the struggle that our veterans currently have. And so why not really focus this around Veterans Day when that's what we're doing, honoring those serving, and create a platform for them to talk to one another. We did this last year and it was kind of a late rollout and we're like, let's just like do this and see what happens and very we really had no expectation and I can't even express how humbled we were by 
the response. And I mean, it, it, it went global. It went around the world. People, people did this workout. I think the beauty of it is anybody can do this workout because a step up is not technical. We're not snatching. There's no muscle ups. You know, anybody can do a step up. And then obviously we scale it. And, you know, you have this huge fitness background. You're well aware. Not everyone has to do the 20-inch box. Not everybody has to do that weight. But being able to go do a workout in honor of someone in our military, that, that generally brings people together anyway because they want to kind of pay their humble respects. But the potential that it could bring for people to have a conversation, whether it's you're doing the step ups and maybe you start to realize in that hour time frame where your brain does go, what do you think about? You know, your struggle, the person you're doing it for, the friend you lost. Do you do it with a friend and you guys can talk to each other? Well, I think Jason and I have confirmed that once you get to probably about 500, you don't really talk anymore. <laughs> but the idea of doing it with a friend, the symbolism there is, to me, everybody needs somebody. Have you put together, technical question here, have you put together like a ramp up program for people to do, you know, two months out, do a hundred and then whatever, break it down. Like, you know, those marathon programming things where, yeah, there's, guys, yeah, there's a training program. That? Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, p- part of the, the the bigger message here is, you know, I've never met the guy that I served with ever who said, "Man, I'm really looking forward to going to that shrink's office with the waterfall in the background and it's really <laughs> quiet and let's go talk about feelings." Right? I've never met that. Per- I've never met that person, right? Especially from our community. Well, but hey, have you heard of Nyko? Chad went. Okay. Do you want to know how I feel about it? Sure. I mean, I've I, I've talked to a lot of guys that went to it that thought it was awesome, mm. and I don't know when Chad went. December two thousand sixteen, and within God. two years he was dead. They found seven TBIs on his brain, and they laughed. What, what, what do you mean? That wasn't very many. One of the guys we were with had forty two. He made a joke. He said, "Yeah, I got to walk around with a football helmet because I can't risk falling over." The guy, you know, I mean, uh-huh. they can joke among each other, yeah. but it's just like seven TBIs to them wasn't very many. But you know what? You can't find on all those screens, CTE or interface astroglow scarring. So, it, you know, I am, a, I am an advocate of mm-hmm. whatever you find works, if that works for you, do it. Mm-hmm. 100%, I believe it, feel it, live it. But I, I am not convinced by any military-centered mm-hmm organization that they're really doing any sort of good yet and i don't know if they just want to talk about it and not be about it but less than two years later chad was dead and you know you do all the things i mean there there is a lot of assessment that happens at that place and and could be potentially good um it told me almost all the things i already knew about him (laughs) as a spouse I are you know they did personality tests and and different stress tests and I mean yes I don't know the scientific sleep lab study but I could tell you his sleep is shit. Um, 
they did a test where they are trying to realize, are you the guy that's going to, I'm trying to think of the best way they said this. Basically, are you the guy that's going to see a problem and respond right away, like rapid fire, like bull in a china shop? Or are you the guy that's going to like take a minute, assess it, and you're not going to be very fast, but it's going to be methodical and it's going to be perfect? Well, that's Chad. Mm-hmm. If you would have ever watched him pack a car for a family trip, that's Chad. So all the things that they did there, you know, I don't feel like it gave me any more insight than I already had, and I'm not so sure – that's the case for Chad. I mean, and they do art therapy and they do dog therapy and they do music therapy. And I mean, even them making him walk a dog, he finally said to him, hey man, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I'm not walking this damn dog. (laughs) He's probably one of the few team guys that like, he didn't like dogs. Um, So yeah, if it works for people and they got something out of it, great. But the way I see it is it's a way for the guys to go fatten their medical records so they can punch the ticket on where their medical disability lies, which, to be totally frank as a spouse, every single one of those dudes should be 100% disabled. Mm. Yeah, no, I I never went to it. It wasn't, I don't think it was, it was in existence maybe, but I never went to it. But I, I do know a lot of guys that went through it that got a lot out of it and Part of what they got out of it, yeah, they're looking at their medical record, but you know, they're, I mean, just the the decompression aspect of it, meaning for 30 days, like you're just gonna eat nice food and like not do anything, not blow anything up or whatever. There was, de- and and guys felt, I, I definitely know some guys that got a lot out of going to it. That's uh, good. Clearly, um, there's some shortfalls, um, especially if they find issues and they're like, oh yeah, this is no factor. That seems kind of crazy. But yeah, you mentioned that CTE thing because they can't, they, they can't see CTE while you're alive, it's, right? It's postmortem. So same thing, interface osteoglossal scarring. Right now there is no test for it. So to some degree, for those guys out there that have served multiple deployments and know you have some TBIs, you might want to almost assume mm-hmm. that that could be in there. What what I think could be a great way and an extension of service for some of our military is this CACO form we fill out before the guys deploy. And um, for listeners, it's 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 a form we fill out that basically says what's going to happen should your husband get killed or or wife your spouse gets killed and everything from who's going to show up at your door. Are they going to wear their uniform? Is it military honors? Are they buried? Are they cremated? Who's going to take your kids? All, all those, you know, pretty important questions. It's kind of sad that when you fill it out so many times, it's commonplace. I remember the first time I filled it out, we mold over these questions for so long. And and by the end of the deployments, I mean, I'm like making dinner and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yep, that's fine. Wait, change that because she moved and she's not going to be able to get here in time. So make it this person. I mean, that's how it is. But and there's, there is some, there is going to be some limitations, and I don't know what they are, but we were able to donate Chad's brain because he, he was stateside, and you have to do it probably within 48 to 72 hours. I'm not quite sure what the time frame is. And his brain was studied, and that's how we were able to determine that, that he did have that. And I don't know if it would be applicable if you're overseas because of travel time, et cetera. But if you were to add that, on the Keiko form, that if you were killed, you would like your brain donated. This is in no way to encourage anybody to take their life by any means. But 
either way, if you're a team guy and, and you get in a car accident and you die, fill in the blank, if you could also put on there or at least have a conversation with your person that you also want your brain donated, that would be a great extension of service. I think that's a straightforward ask. I mean, and yeah, the straightforward ask. Brain study is kind of a big, it's a big topic in, in those circles right now. And there, there, there's so many elements that go into this, but you know, there's the two places where the brain's really being studied right now are China and, and Japan. And Europe, you know, there's just protests on chimpanzees, excuse mm-hmm. me. And so, you know, cause they're the closest to us. The, the best way to study the brain is while it's working. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can't, yeah. Yeah. it makes sense, right? right? And so, you know, we have issues doing that here with chimpanzees. You know, they're, they're chasing off the European equivalent of PETA's chasing off, you know, scientists from Europe. They're, they're just setting up shop in China. And it's like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to graph this brain, you know? And so th- there's a lot of, there's a lot of, challenges that we will we will face what what we do know is that mass veteran suicide is not a thing guys don't all get together and kill themselves at the same time we need we need to create communities with with bonds of people that were able to take some of the lessons that that sarah's bravely sharing with us and and so many behind or behind and around her are sharing about their journey, what they've seen. We need, we need to strengthen the community so that we're able to kind of watch after each other because the military has a stronger fa- social fabric than pretty much anywhere. And in in sort of normal, you know, middle America or anywhere America, right? And, and still, you're, you're 1.5, there's a lot of different statistics, but you're 1.5 times more likely to take your life if you're in the military than if you're not. <laughs> and... It's just, you know, how is this happening? Like, how is this okay? Well, it's not okay. And so what we're trying to do and what we are doing is bringing people together in the real world, not in a shrink's office with the waterfall, you know, that you don't want to be there. And it's like, hey, you know, physical health, mental health, somehow those are definitely, we don't have to study chimpanzees to know that those are definitely tied together. And obviously Chad did not suffer from physical, you know, like he could do a thousand step ups just fine and climb mountains and stuff. But, you know, all these things, you know, you're not sleeping well. Great. Work out. You know, you, you talk about this all the time, Jocko. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and and so bring people together. Yes. Think about this. And so it was really telling when we did this in Virginia Beach and, and guys that Chad had served with showed up, you know, quietly kind of did the work, you know. They showed up in the big F950s that, you know, it's like <laughs> just awesome. This is America. God bless us. Right. And, uh, you know, they showed up. And if, if this was a, a group counseling session to talk about, you know, the, the mandatory briefs, no way. Nobody's showing up for that stuff. But you show up and, and you do the work in honor of, you know, to honor Chad's life and to think about veteran suicide prevention, to think about this unbreakable guy. Right. I mean. Go ask anybody in the Navy that go wants to be a SEAL. Do you want Chad's career? They're like, yes, that's, I want that to be me. And you got guys showing up and, you know, there, there's some community around it. You know, everyone's then bending Sarah's ear. That's, that's, you know, cause this issue is so close to, so close to so many people in the community. And, but you're just strengthening bonds, right? You bring people together in the real world. This is very counterculture, and we're very cool with that. 
you know, in a world where kids are growing up text messaging each other to instead of talking, instead of sitting kneecap to kneecap like like we are right now, right? And we need this. We're, we're social animals, and we need to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so that's that's what we're about. And and physical health and mental health and raising awareness. And it's it can't just be you know trying to beat it into people, right? Like, oh, I'm a hammer. I see a nail. Let me just tell let me tell you about veteran suicide prevention. People just tune that out. But when you've got a story as you got a story like Chaz and you got someone like Sarah that's that's able and willing to tell it. I mean, this is hard. She's got she's to saddle up every time, every time for this. And she's doing it because she wants to change the number. And she wants other people to not go through what she's had to go through. And there's, there's a lot of bravery that goes, that goes into that. And, you know, and so that's, I'm, I'm proud that, that we get to, I mean, I, I work for her in this. GORUCK works for her. And, you know, we don't do anything that, that she's not on board with in terms of Chad's story or just the way that we're running the, running the event around. And, you know, we just have, this is just a unique opportunity in, in the kind of veteran suicide prevention space that, that nobody wants to be too close to. But unfortunately, you know, some of us are. And, and um, so it's a real honor. This is, this is the thing I'm most proud of that I've, that I've been a part of because it is, it's just, it's, it's, it's changing lives. It's helping people and bringing them together and raising awareness for something that is, is really important to me. Because I know, I know you've lost people in your circle, I'm sure. People in my circle. There's, you know, you don't have to, there's Sarah sitting right there. I mean, this is, this is her life. And so it just, this, is, this, matters, this matters hugely to us. Well, I'm on board. Um, like, what do people need to do when they're on board? What are we doing? What's what's our deal? <laughs> well, we we want people to take to the workout, and that might look different for a lot of people. You can go to your local gyms, jump on it, do it in your garage, find a buddy. We're hosting larger scale, what we call live events this year, and we're doing those in some, we'll call like flagship cities. One of them's here in San Diego, so we're hoping maybe you might come and show up. Right on. November 6th, uh, San Diego. It'll be at CrossFit Humanity. So not too far from here. I passed it actually on the way. We're doing it November 3rd. Well, let me back up. November 5th, we're going to be doing it in Fort Pierce, Florida at the UDT Seal Museum. Nice. Legit. So it's their Stump Muster weekend. I'll be speaking and doing some other things down there. That so place is outstanding. If you get a chance, go to Fort Pierce, Florida and visit the UDT Seal Museum. It's awesome. It is, it is, it is really, really cool. Um, so that's November 5th. November 6th, we're in San Diego. November 11th is going to be New York City. Oh November gosh. 13th is going to be Virginia Beach, uh, my hometown, and Jax. Jax is actually November 6th now. Oh, is we had, it? We, had we moved, moved it. a little bit earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah, bad. so we're hosting. So, you know, call it a big giant muster. Start start getting your, your train on. You got a thousand box steps with a 45 pound ruck, bro. <laughs> yeah. That's a get some evolution right it, there. That's a get some evolution <laughs> get right some there. Evolution. That is a get some evolution for sure. You and know, he used to do that. I don't know if you know this, but he used to do it in the garage. I have video of this, him doing step ups, and he would do it in you know in the garage in just shorts in his backpack. He cut all the tags out of his gear, right? Ounces mm-hmm. equal pounds, Sarah, mm-hmm. ounces equal pounds. Mm-hmm. So he knew what he was carrying, but he used a projector and he projected Aconcagua on the back of our garage door. So when I talk about focus, <laughs> 
that's how focused he was and that's that's how focused I am with this so and then and then we're, what we're raising money is that what we're doing we are raising money okay so um, this this came about through a partnership that GoRuck had had with the Navy SEAL Foundation. Awesome. You know, one of your brothers, Chris Irwin, yep. who was, Sarah was his level one CrossFit instructor in yeah. Virginia Beach way back when. I mean, you know, everyone is so close close to, to everyone. And he had, he had called me and, and said, hey, you know, because. Did you look, ever teach any of, the, any of these ones out here on the West Coast? Uh, I taught some in Del Mar. Yeah, I think I probably went to two or three of those over the years okay. in that time frame too. Yeah, yeah, I'm so sure we crossed paths and I, yeah. yeah, I was the guy with the massive deadlift. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, oh. you would not remember me from my physical attributes at a, at a CrossFit seminar. <laughs> yeah. So we're raising money. So we're, we're raising money and, you know, this, this came about through that partnership and, and uh, you know, Chris had called me up and he was like, you know, Nobody knows how to deal with this, man. Everyone wants to deal with it and nobody knows how to deal with it. And, and he, you know, so you get guys that are in positions, you're, you're at the SEAL Foundation and Go Ruck, whatever, right? It's like, we, we want to deal with this and we still didn't know how to deal with it. And he's like, well, I think I got, I think this Chad workout is the way that we can deal with this. He goes, but I got to call Sarah because obviously, you know, you don't do anything without the family. If the family's not on board, especially the, the spouse. I mean, the spouse is the, that, that's the, that's the deal. And, you know, she had to think about it and, you know, said no and then thought about it. And we, we ended up chatting. It was me and Emily and, and Chris and Sarah on a call. I'm out, you know, it's Florida. We have, you know, it's hot. I'm outside. My kids are inside pure chaos. We're chatting on Zoom or whatever it was in the middle of the pandemic. And she's finally like, okay, let's do this. And I'm like, I kind of said, okay, well, you know, if you change your mind, she's like, no, I've made up my mind. We're doing this, right? And so to, to throw her another, like CrossFit, there's a lot of hard workouts in CrossFit, right? A, a lot of you can look at, you know, you can do them harder. You can scale them to whatever. The, the, hardest, the hardest workout in the history of CrossFit that's ever been done was how she did Chad the first time. She went into, into their garage and she put on Chad's rucksack by herself and did Chad. So think about that when you're feeling sorry for yourself out there, you know, because it's a hard workout. And it is. Right? And, and that's what it's supposed to be. Everyone's selling easy. That, that's, you don't think about anything when, when life's easy except the next easy thing you're going to get. Right? You're, you're meant to dig deep. You're meant to think about this. And, and that's, that's the goal. And so we're raising money. Uh, half of it's going to the SEAL Foundation. Sarah has a, a nonprofit called the Step Up Project, and, and that's, um, you know, it's, it's veteran mental health stuff. It's, it's all going to support that. Yeah, well, that's outstanding. Um, and, you know, I have to throw this out there because, like, uh, earlier, you, we, we were talking in the middle of whatever, uh, some high emotion moments, and you said something about the, the families, right? And I just, I, I thought about it, but then, you know, we kept talking, but just the fact that the military families out there and what they put up with and what they go through. And usually, I mean, in my mind, have to worry more than the people that are in the military themselves. So on, on top of all this, just, uh, you know, the families that are out there that the, the, um, the spouses, you know, um, come on down too, because like, it just get to know other people that are living that life. Uh, you know, I know that my, my, my wife, you know, she wasn't around, 
we didn't have any family around. Like we didn't have any family. We lived in California. When we lived in Virginia Beach, I was gone almost the entire time. She didn't know anyone. She ended up doing what you did, which is going to live with my parents for a while. But yeah, just families, right? Military families too, come and get it. That's what I'm thinking. Yes. Family friendly, <laughs> kid friendly. We don't discriminate. Come on all, down. All of them. Yeah. It was it was so awesome in Virginia Beach. It was such a great vibe. You know, we were there at the crack of dawn, mm-hmm. right? Setting boxes up and then you know, it's like all of a sudden people start to show up in waves because you need a box, right? So there's waves of people getting on the box. And people, I mean, we were there. My flight was late that that afternoon. And you guys are still, you know, there was still a big crew there, just like social. It was social. And so it's not a depressing, you know, it's not a, it's not like you, you just, people can't live inside that space forever, right? You have your, you have your, your difficult moments and you think about it and it's, and it's hard. But, you know, anybody, anybody that that served the way that Chad served, like the guys I served with, you don't want people to walk around depressed after you're gone. You, you want them. You, you don't want that. I also think uh, like a lot of uh, I, I just think the more we do talk about it, the, the easier it is for someone else to say me too. And so. It's hard to come out and talk about this all the time. And I've had, I've, this week has been a very busy week for me. So I'm pretty, it's been hard. But I have to believe that the more I talk about it and share Chad's story or, or share the story of, of other friends that are, have passed, took their lives, that other people will start to speak up. At this Virginia Beach event, I had three people separately pull me aside and confide in me struggles that they had. I've had people reach out to me through social media, like long messages. I don't care. I don't care how long it is. I don't care how short it is. And I respond back. Um, And I I think that it's slow and I think it's a trickle, but the potential for this workout done around Veterans Day so we can talk about people's stories so that it might encourage someone else to say me too – Maybe all if all they need to hear is that they're not alone and that someone else feels that too, maybe that's what someone needs, and that's great. Yeah, that's uh, – when you know what's happening, it makes things so much easier. And I, I, I talk about this like you get a new guy. Like, Jason, you get a new guy that looks really nervous before their first operation. And if you go, hey, bro, here's what's going on. You're nervous. It's cool. You're a little queasy. Your stomach's a little messed up. Yeah. Because they're they're scared. They're nervous. And if you go, yeah, that's normal. It's just no big deal. You're going to feel that, that way a little bit before you go out on ops. Uh, no big deal. Don't worry about it. That's your body preparing to go into combat. It's all good. And you can see like relief on their face. That's mentorship right there. Yeah. Yeah. And we need more of that. <laughs> yeah. And this to me, this this whole thing is like if you can tell someone, oh, yeah, you, you've you've breached forty seven doors in your last three week trip, which is not an extraordinary number. Like that, that's you know, oh, you you got crashed in a room however many times you shot a Carl Gustav twenty nine times, or you were the the RSO, so you had you know two troops go through and shoot one per man, and you rate you RSO'd all of them. That's whatever, you know, 80 freaking blasts next to your head that you sat through. And there's some things that are going on inside your brain. Here's what's going on. Here's what you need to watch out for. Here's how you can get ahead of it. That kind of conversation about this stuff is the same thing that it impacts that young new guy that goes, oh, okay, got it. Now I can grab it. Now I can 
get a hold of it and I can move forward. It's awesome. Chad1000x.com. That's where we can go to find out about this stuff. Um, go Ruck. You're at Go Ruck across the board. Across the board. Jason. If you want to talk to Jason at Go Ruck. And just Go Ruck. I, if I live in uh, Idaho, can I do Go, go Ruck? Yes. What if I live in Nebraska? So look, here's the thing. We have we have 500 official Go Ruck clubs around the the country, and and part of it is we we are activating all of them for this. We really believe in this world of people getting together in the real world, and this is not about you don't have to be a, a veteran to do this. You don't have to be anything except willing to show up, right? And you get so much out of and that. got through a freaking thousand step ups. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> Yeah, it's an hour. You know, it's an hour. Yeah. yeah. Right? Okay. Slow and steady. Slow and steady it's wins not, the race. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you want to train up. Yeah. Well, that's maybe we need to release some kind of a preparatory <laughs> workout because I don't one. want a bunch of rhabdo yeah. people yeah. coming <laughs> coming at me. Scale it. You're Scale worried it. about people coming at you after <laughs> for for rhabdo now? Come on. Uh, I've imposed rhabdo on a few people and it it, it doesn't feel good. I feel yeah. horrible. You know, I always feel like I, I won't do it anymore. I, I kind of figured it out. Like it just, it, it, it's not, I don't like doing that to people. No, no, we, it's same thing. So disclaimer is you need to train yourself up. This is an hour. It's, it's step yeah. ups. Yeah, yeah. You, you got this. Step ups with a 45 pound plate on your back. Yeah, scale it down if you're not ready. Do we need Seriously. to train? But we need to train for it, right? Yes, that's what I'm saying. So it's train it's, for it's it, a buy-in for your your workouts. It's it's a cash out for your workouts. Whatever else you're doing, just just integrate a box. If you've got a cooler in your house, use a cooler. If there's you know like whatever the case may be, you have steps. Yep, get it. Uh, Instagram, mm-hmm. you're on Instagram. Yes, Sarah Wilkinson seven mm-hmm. number seven. Yep. Jason, you got anything else? Did I miss anything? I don't think so. Did we miss anything? Oh, well, I guess just to bring, just to make the point one more time and is that where we find the guys are very fragile, I'm going to say fragile, is in their transition time. So when people are separating from the military, maybe they didn't hit retirement, maybe they've done 10 years and they're transitioning out, or they're at retirement and now they need to transition to civilian life, that is a very, for a SEAL, I'm going to say that's a very delicate time for them. And I would encourage families, peers, to really be on the lookout for them during that time because as we've talked so much about the brain and, and PTSD, there's also that loss of, of tribe, or at least they feel as though there is. And what we see is sometimes that increases the likelihood of, of maybe someone not making a really good decision. So I would just encourage people to just be of the best support for those people during that period of transition. Yeah, interestingly, that's when... Uh that's when a SEAL platoon is most exposed when they're transitioning from the water to the land or the land to the water. And there's not only a, a perceived loss of tribe like you're talking about, but also that perceived loss of mission because what have I been doing my whole life and now all of a sudden what am I going to do now? 
Yeah, when Chad um, when Chad was close to 20 years, we were at the discussion of what do we do. You know, my dad served 26 years. His dad served somewhere about that. I can't quite remember. And, uh, you know, the hard part is I, I really kind of hoped he would pick us. I thought, okay, we've done 20 years. Like, we've done 20 years. Me, Sarah, Chad, Kinsley, Hudson. We've done it. Boom. Pick us. And he didn't. Um, and I, again, believe he had a warrior's heart and he was born to do this. But I said to him, well, you know, we talked about jobs and I just remember he looked at me and he said, I don't have any skills. That's what they think. I mean, he was dead serious. And you're thinking, what? I mean, I know that you're not going to go work for someone and be hanging out in bushes and kicking down doors, most likely. But what the skills these guys do have, I mean, most of them are, are very intelligent, critical thinkers, analytical, uh, problem solvers, think outside of the box, can make decisions quickly. That is a lot of really great attributes that many organizations in the civilian world would want. And so, again, just to speak to, I, I you know, it's that loss of identity. And it's like, I've been shooting guns and busting down doors. What, what else do I do? One of my uh, first platoon chiefs said he, there was an old Vietnam SEAL. And he was a mailman now. And they would go over there and like drink beer or whatever at his house, and he'd tell stories about Nam. Nice. And he had this picture on the wall, and it was uh, like a shot from behind, like a picture of of a guy's back. And the guy's the guy whose back you see is clearly a Vietnam SEAL with a floppy hat and a stoner and his web gear on and his jungle cami top and his blue jeans, and he's standing in front of like a corporate desk, and the the corporate desk there's the boss guys looking at him and the caption underneath is I'm sorry sir we don't have any jobs for point men here which is true but to your point and believe me I see this all the time I work with companies all over the country and all over the world actually and they absolutely need the individuals that have these kind of attributes that you're talking about and there is absolutely a new mission when you get done with the military go out in the civilian world and have an impact and make people's lives better and build great products and build great companies and and do great things and that is absolutely available and you are needed in the in the civilian world and that's the way it is mm-hmm. we need them too 100%. right like our country needs people with this kind of experience spread throughout our our country spread throughout our companies spread throughout our communities spread throughout our our neighborhoods. And one of the things that makes San Diego such a great town is it's, it's a military. There's, it's a military town. You've got this just underpinnings of San Diego. The foundation is strong. It's the same where I live in Jacksonville beach. I mean, my, my neighbor two doors down is a top gun instructor. I mean, these things are just normal around us and it's great. They're just good people that are just, you know, this, Talk about, you know, the greatest generation coming back to America and just doing great stuff, getting educated and working their asses off and building America into America. And, you know, we need more of that. And so we need we need the, the transition is is it's to echo her point. I mean, it's it's just sucks. I mean, don't underestimate it under any circumstances. It can happen to you. It will happen to you. It will be terrible. 
and and just now that you know it's coming brace for it a little bit take it easy on yourself build out some support structures around you you know stuff like that and we just this is going to require something that is not kind of normal this day and age it's going to require us to kind of work together you know like how to support transitioning folks better how to kind of build stronger communities in the real world how to like that's what we need we don't we, you don't need guys coming out and it's like hey you know what you need to do you need to be an influencer on instagram right <laughs> like no you know how about not that <laughs> right and and so you know it's 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 difficult it's difficult and and we have to keep having the conversation that that's why i I respect you and then and I respect this long form um, podcast stuff that you do because it's it's it, it forces people you know it's not just sound bites it's like hey here's the story this is nothing's as simple as as it looks on someone's feed and you know th- that's kind of what real life is like and and I think that we we need more of that not less Totally agree. Well, speaking of long form, I've kept you in here for over three hours. Um, Jason, thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for your service. You know, we covered that last time. Uh, and thanks for what you're continuing to do. Build and go ruck and forming communities out there. Real communities. I can see this look in your eye when you when you start saying that. And, and I get it, man. And for me, it's a lot through jujitsu. But look, that that's a real thing. And getting people together to get together and sweat. And work, it's a positive thing, man. Appreciate what you're doing. And Sarah, obviously, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your service. Thanks for your sacrifice. Um, thanks for holding the line. And while, while your husband was gone and gone again and gone again and, and being there and raising a family and building a business and doing all those things, um, the, all the military families that are listening right now for what you go through, and and what they risk so thanks to you thanks to your kids as well for what they've gone through and of course chad um thanks for your service bro we won't forget amen thank you and with that Sarah Wilkinson and Jason McCarthy have left the building and Echo Charles uh, we need to go a little bit old school I think on this one for the decompression yeah. right so if you've never listened to this before uh, the original purpose of when we would get done with a podcast Echo Charles and I would just kind of start talking about stuff for a little while. It was to decompress from a heavy subject Mm -hmm. as we started doing podcasts and started hitting some heavy subjects along the way. This we would originally just kind of start talking and I would just kind of let Echo talk for a little bit while I did the decompression because I'm usually the one that's all wrapped up in whatever subject is we're talking about. So certainly, uh, in need of a little decompression after that one um just a just a very tough subject and and that's why we're talking about it right we're talking about it as 
you know, Sarah said like something that she doesn't want anyone else to have to go through. And that's why we talk about these things. Um, so for a little decompressing, um, I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit. Echo, Charles, we, you, we, we want people to take care of themselves. It's true. So you, you like it's weird because so there's so many mysteries to the brain. Mm. Right. So, and with your body, like your physical, your other part of, parts of your body, it's like less of a mystery, right? So, like, True. yeah, you go in, you know, you're in a combat scenario, you get shot in the abdomen, and it's like, okay, it's going to be pretty straightforward as far as, hey, can we save this guy? Can we not? Yeah. You know, all this stuff, and yeah. like, he can bleed out. He can, there's all these things, and then there's these, you know, you you can take specific actions, and then hopefully we can save him. All this stuff. You get shot on the leg or something while you're running or you blow out your knee or something. It's like, okay, it's broken. He can't run anymore. It's like pretty straightforward. But the brain, it gets damaged in one way or another. It's kind of like there's no telling what's going to happen a lot of the time, you know? And you don't know when yeah. either. It's, it's, it is. The brain is the mysterious part of the anatomy right now. And nerves, right? Yeah. They don't really know how they work. It's very hard to, like, repair them. Yeah. And, and then... Yeah, as we said, you take that brain and rattle around inside of a inside of your skull yeah. over and over again. We don't know what it's going to do, but we know it's not good. We know that much. Yeah. And then you have to make it kind of in a way work. Okay, remember Kirsty Ennis? Yes. Right. So yeah. she she got jammed up, she got injured, yeah. and she still had her leg. You mm-hmm. know, she was she was doing this thing, and then but she was constantly being checked in upon. You know, checked on. And be like, okay. And then over time, they were like, hey, okay, we're at a point where we got to make this very specific decision, yeah. and we know what could, and you know, all this stuff. And it was pretty, it was pretty clear. And then you make the decision, but that's an, that's an example of incurring an injury and then it's still having lasting effects, lasting effects, lasting yeah. effects until you got to, you know, either risk actually dying yeah. or risk huger and bigger injuries, or just say chop it off or amputate, and, yeah. and you know, remember her talking about. She knows she because she could still walk. Yeah. Yep. And she was taking her last walk on the beach in the sand. Yeah, exactly right. But a perfect example of like you can incur the injury and still handle still, you know, go about your business. Sure. You're jammed up here and there, here and there. And then but the injury is still progressing. Yeah, it's getting worse. Getting worse. Yeah. And then you get, and meanwhile, but the thing is, again, for your your other parts of your body, it's kind of like there's kind of a protocol you can check in and be like, okay, for the brain, it's so mysterious. It's like you, we can try, and we are t- kind of trying to do that, but it's so mysterious that it's not as cut and dry like that. And it's the same exact thing. He incurred all these injuries at some point, and that thing just keeps lasting and lasting, mm-hmm. getting worse and worse and worse, you know, until it it, it gets you. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's hard to get, like get a grip on exactly what's happening. Yeah. It's crazy. It's the, it's the unknown frontier of the human body. Probably the most unknown frontier of the human body. Yeah. The, the nerves in the brain. And there's so many illusions too. Even like with yourself, where you can be like, oh, I'd, I'd just do this in this situation or that situation, or I would never choose to do that. But you get in a certain like situation, you do some stuff that's real unexplainable. Or only explainable later, even though you thought from bef- like beforehand you th- you were you were so convinced of something, and then afterwards you're like, oh, she's all surprised on what you did, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. So it's like, so there's this big illusion, like it's like, oh yeah, he could just make the decision not to or whatever, but it's like that doesn't work like that. Lots of factors come into play. Yeah. 
don't know. Well, um, we do want people to, like I said, want people to take care of themselves. Yeah. And the ones around them. And the, the ones way. around them. But yeah. we got to kind of, like the analogy goes with the, yeah. the plane and the oxygen. Got to put the oxygen on your own face before you put it on yeah. your kids. It's true. So, um, so you got to do a little something to kind of keep yourself in the game. Sarah mentioned something where he said, oh, I don't have any skills, right? And he was talking about getting a job mm-hmm. or something like this. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, I can see why someone might think that off, like for at first, but the fact is you have a lot of skills. For and sure. one of the main skills is straight up capability in all these different ways where, you know, you can learn this specific thing or learn that specific trade and all this other stuff. But if someone who's just a more capable person across the board, that guy's going to excel in those skills more. For sure. So... In my opinion, that's an important thing to be capable and to stay capable. Sure. So on this path of capability, hopefully, we're going to take some hits, some heavies. It happens. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of like you mentioned jujitsu. In jujitsu, if you're going hard, are you not going to get dinged up? No, you are going to get yeah, dinged up. Yeah, that's kind of the nature of going hard. See what I'm saying? Yep. Just like in workouts, just like with anything else. But don't worry. Supplementation will help us all. Through those dings, dents. So anyway, chocolate supplements. It's a long way of saying chocolate supplements. <laughs> so first thing we we'll go so over. So you're decompressing. Yeah, so a little you bit. You made me chuckle a little bit. A little there, bit. So. We're trying over here. Decompression. Okay. Yeah. So Jocko has a new era of energy drinks. Straight up healthy for you. I know we don't equate health and energy drinks in the same thing. Didn't used to. No. We do now. We do now. New era. Mm-hmm. Discipline. Go. Many different flavors. Best flavor is mango. <laughs> Kind of by far, unabashed too. Unabashedly plugging your, that, your own activities. And that's saying a lot because the orange is freaking good. Yeah. You know, the sour apple, like these are like good flavor. They taste good, yeah. but like mango is just so much better. It's like crazy. It's saying a lot. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, the good thing is that mm-hmm. these drinks, they taste different. You, you got to, some people might not like mango. Probably a small number of people. Yeah. Some people might not like orange. Some people not might not like sour apple sniper. Mm-hmm. Some people might not like Jocko Palmer. Some people might not like whatever. Mm-hmm. So the recommendation is try try one, see what you like. Yeah, let me know. But let Echo Charles know if his signature <laughs> flavor is the best. Well, it since it's factually the best. Do you love your flavor the best. I like my. Will flavor you ever drink another different kind? Yes. Yeah, I do. Okay, see, that's what's weird. Yeah. Only because I don't want to chunk them all and I won't have any. I got to call Pete and Brian oh, and them and, okay. you know, there's that. But if you had all flavors in a fridge every for one year. Yeah, I and, can do one year, yeah. And me. I was restocking yours. Yeah. Would I ever have to replace a Sour Apple Sniper? You would never have to, no. Here's the thing. I can do one year, <laughs> but in the spirit of, you know, nature and all that stuff. Like if you're eating steak every single night uh-huh. and someone offers you So you veer like, off the path of the, of the mango mayhem. In the spirit of variety, yes. Okay. For sure. Well, that's, you know, that's the, I think that's natural. I'm pretty sure yeah. I would only drink Jocko Palmer. I understand. Because it tastes so good to me. Yeah. So, but okay. I also only eat steak, so. There you go. See, because you're different. All right, well, either way. Either all way, right, it doesn't so matter. So we got a drink is what you're saying. It doesn't matter what flavor you choose to drink at any particular time, uh-huh. regardless if mango is the best flavor. It's all healthy for you. So yep. you drink in the energy drink. You get in the front end, the energy, the little boost that we sometimes want. Boom, but you get the health benefits as well. Yep. As opposed to the 
poison benefits or lack of benefits or whatever. The detriments. You understand what I'm saying? Detriments. Either way, discipline. Go. You can get this at Wawa, Mm -hmm. Vitamin Shop, Amazon. Yeah. And originusa.com. Also, we have you mean jo- jockofuel.com? Jockofuel.com. Yeah, Actually, yeah. for me, the one. But jockofuel is the easier to remember. Yeah, yeah, that's the if direct you're one. For the fuel. You don't got to click around all that stuff. Um, also, got joint warfare. This is for your joints. When you're lifting hard, you're doing jujitsu, like you don't want to worry about the joints. If you don't want to worry about your joints, this is the one that that we need. Mm-hmm. I don't want to worry about joints. Yep. It's going to be pretty rare. You're going to want to worry about your joints. But I don't know. Some people are more in touch with that kind of stuff, and that's cool too. Either way. Joint warfare and super krill oil will make sure that they're mm. still in the game. Longevity, man. Hey, have you had the greens yet? No. Well, we have greens now. Oh, right on. And decide to come up with a creative name. All right, what is it? Jocko Greens. <laughs> uh, we made some cr- very good greens, and uh, so you can check those out too. If you if you don't eat enough vegetables like mm. me or fruits like me, yeah. Now you can. Boom. In a scoop. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And uh, and again, you know, true Jocko style. Apparently, you're making these things taste good. Yeah, which is yeah. very not hardcore of you, by the way. But it is very efficient. And what do you call it? It's it's real low drag. It's also results related, yes. right? We're not trying to feed, not trying to get you to drink something that tastes like junk. Yeah, and then you don't drink it because it tastes right. like junk. Yeah, why would we do that? You're not trying to. Offer up another element of resistance yeah. in a good path yep. that we're all on. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's true. That's a good move. Um, also, vitamin D3, Cold War, immunity stuff. This is essential. So don't forget about that kind of stuff. Also, milk. We talked about steaks. I get it. But sometimes mm. you want extra dessert back, back and on, protein. Back on the strawberry path right now. You are. We're going hardcore strawberry for like a week and a half. Uh, I was going hardcore peanut butter for... At least a month. What's the what's your normal pro are you putting anything in there in the little banana, a little whatever? Nope. What are you just straight milk? Milk. And some variety of milk. Yeah. Could be could be coconut milk, mm. could be uh, almond milk, yeah. could be the oat milk, could be the milk milk. milk, milk but yeah. yeah, mix it up with one of those. Yeah. And they all taste legit. They yeah. all have their own little you know? Yeah, you don't know my protocol, What's which I've been freaking on, and it's freaking solid, and it tastes good. I don't know, though. So is it normal? Like, what do you, let's say you had a salad, like, not like a side salad, but a, a robust mm-hmm. salad, <laughs> you know? You have steak yeah. salad, chicken yeah. salad, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. What do you drink with that? What's the norm? I mean, what pairs with that? That you, I don't. Say, I know you're gonna say water. I know, but okay. what, well, what's the jam? <laughs> you don't want me to say water. All right, well, water kind of goes with everything. Okay. You always get water. At the restaurant, they're gonna give you the water first, so that's yep. a given. But what is you know what's the jam? Your story, your your thing is not going anywhere. So where where are you going with this? Okay, I drink water. Here's with Here's what salad. I pair with the big salad. <laughs> it's called the big salad, chicken, very robust salad, uh-huh. um, milkshake, but just a plain one though. Plain. Like not usually, I add a banana, a frozen banana in oh, there okay. or whatever. No, 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 whatever. So I uh, I'll go the peanut butter, peanut butter, chocolate. And then milk or the almond milk or whatever. Just, you know, you don't add the oatmeal or bananas or whatever if you want to make it all luxury or whatever. See what I'm saying? But it, like, pairs nicely. Right on. I like it. All right. Well, either way, these things, again, jockofuel.com. Yeah. Subscribe if you want the influx, you know, where you don't got to remember to reorder or run out and all that stuff. You don't have to remember. You don't have to pay shipping. Oh, yeah. Those are two real solid elements. It's true. So we mentioned originusa.com. This is where you can get your American-made denim. Yeah. 
Kind of a big deal. No, it's a real big deal. Yeah, when you kind of go down the line, it's like, sure, you're getting good jeans. I get it. That's, that's good. It's great, actually. But you hear something crazy? When yes. we first looked into making these jeans, mm. we were talking to people. <laughs> we were talking to people in the fashion industry. Legit. I yeah, I understand. You know how much they wanted us to charge for a pair of jeans? American-made jeans. Oh you know what the value placed on American, 100% American-made jeans was? Take oh. a guess how much. $118. I'm not kidding you. They said the good market price, $450. Damn. $450 for a pair of jeans. This was like in New York City with fashion people. Right, right. And I like kicked Pete under the table. <laughs> I'm like, bro, I ain't charging $450 for a pair of jeans. No. That's not happening. No. And we walked out. I'm like, that's not happening. He's like, it's not happening. I was like, he's like, calm down. You know? I was kind of losing it. Because we know I already don't like fashion people in the first place. Now they want that me to sense. charge four hundred fifty because they're trying to they're trying to keep the control of the market, right. right? They're trying to keep that thing elevated because they want to charge four fifty for their pair of jeans. Yeah, but you know the whole idea of charging that much for jeans, like whatever they're doing there, like it's not a matter of like, hey, we gotta you know, and it makes this logistical sense. It's not that they're doing something. Oh no, they're inflating the prices. Yeah, for a reason. Like they're doing. What's their thing? What are they doing? Like that thing. I think I'll tell you what they're doing. They know that people want to buy American-made stuff. They know they can't make it. They want us to price it out of the market so they don't have to worry yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. That's what they are doing. That makes sense. Well, we're not playing their games. Well, the good news is it doesn't cost four hundred and fifty-nine, no. ninety-nine, whatever you said. So, boom, there you go. You also got boots on there. Yep. By the way, same American made. 100%. Bringing back the industry, by the way. Mm-hmm. Expanding like, geez, Louise. <laughs> as far as geez, Louise goes. <laughs> Bro, I'm saying there's a, there's a lot going on. Louise's been saying. deadlifting. She's getting <laughs> jacked. That's what's happening with geez, Louise. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, but, yes, so Origin USA, there's a lot of cool stuff. Jiu-Jitsu stuff on there as well. Yeah, you get that gi. Yeah, you get the gi. If you're getting back into jiu-jitsu or you get, you're staying in jiu-jitsu, you want another gi. Hopefully Grab you're one. staying in jiu-jitsu. Good community. Bad not You know, to. we talked about with Jason. Go Rock. Awesome. Good community. Jiu-jitsu also. Community. Yeah, it's true. Also, we have a store. It's called Jocko Store. So, boom, if you're on the path you want to represent, discipline equals freedom. Good. Take the high ground or the high ground will take you. It's where you can get your shirts and hoodies and hats and whatnot. Some shorts on there. Utility, surfing, swimming, cruising, <laughs> lifting, jujitsu. I said it, all of it, everything. They're what hybrid or whatever. Anyway, we've got some shorts on there too. Anyway, Wait, shorts with cargo pockets? No. Well, you can't be wearing them for swimming or jujitsu if they have the pockets on them. The big pockets for the uh, yeah cargo. Cargo pockets? No, no, you can have a little cargo pocket on there. Not a freaking baggy like from the Gap store cargo pocket from 1994. <laughs> no, it does not have that, no. But the hand, like the hand, the pockets that the you stick front. your hands into on yeah. the front, you yeah. can't do jujitsu with those. Yeah, and okay. swimming's not recommended. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Okay. Trust me, you can. Well, you might be able to, but it's not optimal. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I'll put like zip. Can you put zippers on them? That would be make it a little bit better. Yeah. We need to do uh, a pair of shorts with a slim pocket on the leg. Mm. No, wait. 
and I think these already, I'd have to double check, mm -hmm. but they have like the pocket is kind of, it breathes like through so the water can pass through. I'm wearing them right now. They do have that, but that's still. <laughs> yes, see, but you know what I'm doing right now? I'm yep. working. I'm podcast. They're good. They're excellent for podcasting. Yeah. Right. Yes. They're excellent for cruising for yes. sure. Yeah. Swimming is marginal because uh -huh. even though the water is made to drain out of them, it's mm -hmm. still you're. There's big pockets holding water. We're not setting. We're not swimming the English Channel. No. Yeah. Actually, no. Now that <laughs> so, I'm thinking so, of it, you're yeah, right. So you're there's right. that, and then jujitsu. You're you know your toes, toes getting caught yeah, in there or whatever. So. Let's redesign. Yes, sir. Okay, I thought I we did redesign. Uh, well, are we lagging? We're working on that one. Okay, you know it's a, it's a working uh, progress or whatever. But <laughs> the good thing about this is if swimming, jujitsu. I know your toes get stuck in there, and it's true. Mm -hmm. But if they're not ideal, because really, what's ideal for jujitsu? Really, it's like spats and a rash guard. Same thing for swimming. What's ideal for swimming? Go to the Olympics. Check it out. That's what's ideal for swimming. Okay. A lot of us sometimes we don't want to wear that kind of stuff when we go swimming. Yeah. Some of us, I don't know. Understood. If we're not swimming the English Channel, I yeah. get it. We can jump in the, in the in the surf zone. If you, if if we're just cruising right now, and then we just find ourselves at the beach, I don't know, mm. or like frick, let's go body surfing. You can wear those shorts. Is yes. what I'm saying. Yes. And they're going to work great. They're going to be acceptable. Very acceptable. Not optimal. They'll be appropriate. How about that? Now, they're really good for normal life. Yeah. Which is what I wear them for. Boom. But if I'm going to roll, I'm going to put on a different pair of shorts that we need to make. Jockostore.com. <laughs> That's where you get all this stuff. If you like something, get something. How about that? Including but not limited to the shorts. Right on. Um, subscribe to this podcast if you want to. Also, I have some other podcasts, Jocko Unraveling, me, me and Daryl Cooper, The Grounded Podcast, Warrior Kid Podcast. We also have The Underground. Look, we don't know what's going to happen with these platforms. So if something does happen to these platforms, we'll be on JockoUnderground.com. If you want to subscribe to that, it helps us build it. $8.18 a month. Thanks for the support. If you can't afford it, cool. We'll support you. Email assistance at jockounderground.com. We have a YouTube channel, which there's a lot of high level assistant directing happening on there. Yeah, very high level for sure. Sarcasm? Yeah. Actually, I've accepted it factually that, yeah, I, I dig it. Even like with setup, right? You've been, you know, you've come a long way. You do some great work. So thank you. But yeah, the YouTube channel, video version of this podcast yep. also, yep. by the way, it's a, it's becoming more and more a common way to consume, as it were. Mm -hmm. So yep. yeah, check that out. Origin USA also has a little uh, YouTube channel mm -hmm. that you can check out. It's true. Also, Psychological Warfare, if you don't know what that is, it's an album with tracks. Jocko getting you and me and us all past our moments of weakness that do come every once in a great while. Visitations. Of moments of weakness. <laughs> Just saying it happens. That's all I'm saying. So psychological warfare will help you with that. Do I have to make a psychological no. warfare track about claustrophobia? <laughs> see, see, you know, I, I had a question mark in my head. Like, should I even say that? Because it's going to trigger you to f start, you know, talking to me about this kind of stuff. And maybe the answer is yes. I don't know. Okay. But the current psychological warfare where you can get wherever you buy MP3s. That will help you with the weaknesses that it addresses. Check. Also, flipsidecanvas.com, Dakota Meyer. Order some cool stuff to hang on your wall. Got a bunch of books. I just finished the audio version of Final Spin, which is the next book that I have coming out. I think it's coming out uh, November 
sixth or something like that, which mm-hmm. I just realized means I will not be in this area for the Chad 1000X event because I will be on the road. Oh, okay, um, I just recorded. I just recorded the audio book, and it was the first time that I got to see someone's reaction live to the book mm-hmm. because there was a. There was a worker. There was a, a audio engineer. Yeah, yeah. She was named Deb. She was in there working the, working the, the, <laughs> the, the dials and stuff, the switches. She was Hell mixing yeah. it. But here's Deb. what's freaking awesome. Mm. This is what this is what's fired up. There's funny parts in that book, mm. right? And she she's outside the glass, right? I'm in the, I'm in the room, right? Sure. Yeah. She's outside the glass, and I'm watching her. And like, I would read a funny line, and I can see her, and she'd like laugh, and she'd yeah, be laughing, yeah, yeah. and like laugh, looking at me, and like like nodding her head. And then there's a couple point parts in the book that are kind of like fired up, like they're gonna go. <laughs> and she was literally raising her hands, like I'd, I'd look at her, she'd like raise her hands, like ah, like they're gonna go. And then that was day one. Mm. Lots of setup, you know. You can kind of you kind of getting to know the characters a little bit. Day two, stuff starts getting a little bit going sideways Mm -hmm. day two deb openly weeping (laughs) that i can visually watch her crying as i'm reading like the some parts of the 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 story that are heavy so final spin if you want to know what that's all about check it out dang that's crazy that's like like she was like your little audience i had an audience of one Yeah, yeah yeah and you know what Check this out. She's supposed to be a professional. I know, really. Right? No, no disrespect <laughs> to Deb. She is a professional. Yeah. She did a great job, and that was much appreciated. Yeah. She's not supposed to be in there laughing, <laughs> cheering, and crying, right? That's not, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, like hey, if, would you be stoked if your doctor's doing a surgery on you and, like, high-fiving and laughing? <laughs> like, no, right? Right? You wouldn't be stoked on that. No, no. But I was definitely stoked. Yeah, fully. It was... Think about it. It's like a. You're right. It was an audience of one. Yeah, yeah. And she's not supposed to be showing emotions, and she's in there getting emotional. All emotions revealed. Yeah. So if you wanted to feel some of those emotions, hear about it. Also, did a little, the additional, uh, the additional commentary for the audio track mm. is with Good Deal Dave Burke because he read it and he interviewed me and we Dang. talked about it. So that's that. Uh, final spin. Check it out. Pre-order it now if you want that first edition. Who knows? With that kind of emotional reaction, you get that first edition. You may be holding on to something special. Yeah. Holding on to something special. Something you like pass on to your kids when they're old enough. Oh, yeah. I talked to Dave Burke about that. I'm like, hey, would you let your how old you how old will your kids have to be before they're allowed to read this book? And he, mm. he's like, I he's like I want them to read it as young as I c- they can, mm. but old. There's swear words in it. Yeah, there's some f bombs, quite a few. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I, I, he goes real soon. Yeah, you know, thirteen, fourteen. He said because the the perspectives that it gives a person on life so yeah. powerful that he wants them to have it. Uh, so that's final spin. Leadership strategy and tactics field manual. The code, the evaluation, the protocol. Discipline equals freedom field manual. Brand new versions out. Way of the warrior kit. One, two, three, and four. Mike and the dragons. Hackworth about face and of course. Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership that I wrote with my brother Leif Babin. We also have a consulting company. We solve le- we solve problems through leadership. Go to echelonfront.com for details on that if you want us to come and help your company. If you want to come to one of our live events, the next muster is in Las Vegas. 
October 28th and 29th. So if you want to come to that, FTX, September 20th and 21st. We're getting close. Might have already passed that. We also have an online training academy called Extreme Ownership. Extreme Ownership Academy. ExtremeOwnership.com where you can learn leadership and keep your leadership edge sharp. Mm. If you want to help service members active and retired, their families, gold star families. I talked a little bit about the hyperbaric chamber today. And that's one of the one of the things that Mama Lee's charity organization does is pay for veterans to go into a city and stay for like 30 days and get 30 days worth of hyperbaric treatments that are so helpful. They're even helpful for these kind of injuries that we talked about today. If you want to donate or you want to get involved, go to America's Mighty Warriors.org. And if you want more of my pathological pauses or you need more of Echo's vacant verbalizations, you can find us on the interwebs, on Twitter, on the gram, (laughs) on Facebook, Echo's at Echo Charles. I am at Jocko Willink. And and once again, for Chad1000X, go to chad1000x.com. If you want to check out Sarah, Sarah's Instagram, it's Sarah Wilkinson7. And then Jason and everything that he's doing on Go Ruck. You want to find out where you can get get involved in that. It's really good stuff. Check out at Go Ruck. And thanks once again to Sarah Wilkinson and Jason McCarthy for joining us today. And thanks to both of you for your service. And thanks for to both of you for everything that you're doing today to try and help raise awareness and prevent suicide straight up and all the veterans out there you've been through a lot and you start feeling like maybe you're in that storm remember that you can get out of that storm ask for help get help there's things that you've been exposed to that can physiologically damage your brain psychologically damage your brain that can be fixed so talk to someone get help if you need it please and the same thing goes to police and law enforcement firefighters out there paramedics EMTs dispatchers correctional officers border patrol secret service all first responders you live in a stressful environment you get exposed to things that can damage you physiologically and psychologically if you're feeling it talk to somebody and it's really the same thing for everybody else out there talk to people there's no shame in asking for help you don't have to face the darkness alone hold on ask for help take another step because there is light and however dark it may seem in that storm there is light so take another step and to Chad Wilkinson thank you for your service brother and until next time this is Echo and Jocko out